Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Of the Forgot My Dice podcast. As always, I am your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the life day to my Christmas special, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hello, hello. Does that mean you're lumpy? Does that mean you're lumpy? I, you're, you're my lumpy. You're my lumpy to my life day. I almost went there with that, but yeah. You should have. I should have. This is a wasted opportunity. You want to just start over? <laughs> no, I think we're good. I got it out of my system. The less we talk about lumpy, the better. Lumpy was awesome, and you know it. <laughs> Chewbacca's illegitimate son. We're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Chewbacca had a fling back on Kashyyyk for a little while, but now he's back where he needs to be with Han. It's fine, okay? Han died, sir. Shh, shut your mouth. Well, as always, we're going to kick this show off with a big thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on and produce uh, what some have called semi-entertaining content. Yeah, semi-entertaining? Somebody said that to us? That's a compliment. <laughs> Best words of the week. So, uh, this week, we're going to have a slightly different setup than normal because we have a special guest, which is always fun. A friend of the show and, and Patreon, so thank you directly, Ray. Uh, Mr. Ray Greenlee is here joining us this week. Thank you, guys, and you're welcome. It's been uh, really great uh, listening to the show since uh, I found out about you guys last year, and I'm very happy to support you on Patreon, just like everyone listening should. <laughs> thank you, Ray. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're welcome. No, thank you. This is really, um, I've been looking forward to this uh, ever since we set it up to come back on and talk to you guys again because I had such a great time last time. And th- this doesn't happen to make me the first repeat guest, does it? Yeah, I believe it does. I believe it does. No, no, my call. My call was on twice. <gasps> oh, that's right. Mike, Mike beat you oh. to it. Yeah, way in the early days. He did like three and seven, I want to say. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't feel special anymore. You should feel special. Honor, honor to be back again anyway. I, I want to give out uh, a shout out to uh, James and Lacey over at the Just One More Fix podcast because of stuff I can't talk about because you might be in my Tales from the Loop game, but they uh, they mentioned us all by name on their podcast, which means they listen to us, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of people listening to us for once. Yeah, yeah. Big G Creative uh, quoted you direct in like their social media and stuff, which means they listened to that episode where we talked about happy little accidents. <laughs> I think that officially makes me a published author. <laughs> i don't know if there's any validity to that statement but i'm sticking with it none none at all none at all jonathan hitting the big time guys <laughs> <laughs> well and uh knowing that you've got that calendar uh robert what is our national day for the day today is a uh, national alphabet day because it has noel get it because <sighs> this episode should go out on christmas day gentlemen this is the Merry Christmas and happy holidays, everyone. <laughs> yes. If we can get it, if we can manage to get it to play twice, we've already outdone the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> and if you're listening to this on Christmas, well, I hope your family appreciates you listening to podcasts instead of spending time with them. Oh, wow. Going with the sizzle, going with the sizzle. <laughs> Some could argue that we are the lump of coal in somebody's stocking. <laughs> you guys are worth family strife. It's awesome. <laughs> 
Awesome. <laughs> Great. You don't get it. People who are listening to us on a Christmas are avoiding family strife. So welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a technique I have yet to master. <laughs> Well, as always, we are going to start off today's episode with our off-the-shelf segment. Of course, this is our segment where we talk about all the fun stuff that we've managed to get off the shelf and onto the table. And, Ray, you're going to jump in on this one, too, right? I see you've got uh, quite the list there. I've been busy recently, partly thanks to uh, having attended PAX Unplugged earlier this month. I got a lot of uh, opportunities to try out some cool stuff there, and I'll be happy to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah, that, uh, that the, the cons are really good for keeping the list uh, good and healthy, isn't it? Absolutely. And I've just have other fortunate opportunities too. So, uh, plenty, plenty to, uh, to go through. I'll try not to take too much time going into too much detail. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start off with, uh, something that we don't often get a chance to talk about because Robert and I have been so busy lately and that is reading. Cause you've got quite the reading list there. One thing that uh, people who didn't hear me on last time uh, might not remember or realize is that I uh, do record audiobooks um, as a side job uh, after taking care of my uh, vast number of kids. Which that number has expanded since last we spoke, yes? Um, I think, uh, not sure if it has, but it will shortly. How old is your youngest? My youngest is about a year and a half. Uh, was I think my youngest was probably like three or four months old uh, last time we talked. Yeah, I guess you just had just had and and uh and uh we're looking f- uh at our uh 7th child coming uh in February uh due February 11th so we might actually get the uh Valentine's Day baby yeah i i'm riding that same train <laughs> yeah so that does that does tend to take up a fair amount of my time and uh in the small amount of time that my wife graciously carves out for me i uh do record audiobooks i've actually had some um some real fun stuff this year. Uh, I'm right now uh, have read and am, have started recording the, the fourth book in the Great Martian War series, um, which uh, when we talked last, I believe I had just finished up the second one and you guys had um, had listened to the first one. I had finished the third one um, earlier this year, which was sort of the completed like the a sort of trilogy. This next one is kind of an offshoot. It's called The Great Martian War, Texas Front Salient. Sort of talking about some events concurrent with concurrent in the timeline with events from the third book, uh, Great Martian War Counterattack. Basically focusing on what was happening in, um, you know, s- uh, south, southern uh, United States and uh, northern Mexico at the time when those other books were focusing more on um, the rest of the country around um, uh, further north in like St. Louis so it's pretty neat. Um, I get some uh, some repeat characters. And, uh, oh, I guess for uh, anyone who doesn't know, the Great Martian War uh, books, uh, originally written by Scott Washburn, follow basically the events of uh, War of the Worlds uh, from H.G. Wells. Uh, so in this telling, the Martians have returned and are attacking and trying to take over, take over the planet. And it's set in the early 1900s, about 10 years after the events of War of the Worlds. And the uh, the world is trying to um, fight them off uh, with uh, some great difficulty, especially early on, as obviously the Martians have uh, much more powerful technology and weapons than um, the early 1900s humans had. But it's a really great story with some great characters as the uh, humans try to uh, deal with what's going on. Some really interesting stuff in this Texas Front book where I don't think it's too much of a spoiler since it hits in Chapter 3, but we end up dealing with... Uh, with uh, humans who are collaborators uh, with the Martians and how that uh, affects things and how the 
the uh, the characters in the book deal with uh, that situation. It's really a great book. Uh, that I'm just I love these stories. I love the historical aspect, and I'm happy to uh, happy to be able to work on them. Um, this one does present a challenge of a lot more um, sort of uh, Latin American and Texas accents that I'm going to have to be able to do. Uh, so it's uh, forcing me to stretch myself to my dialect abilities too. But that is what's working on now, and my goal is to have the book done before the new baby comes, because if it's not done by then, then it's going to take a little while <laughs> longer for me to get it done. <laughs> oh, I know that deadline all too well. I'm feeling yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And, and Robert and I can attest to how much fun those books are, because we both read through the, the – well, I've read through the first one. And Robert, how many have you done? I think no, you, we, I, I know you did the first, but did you do two? No, I, I just did the first one. I got distracted by uh, uh, Craig Gallant's book. Which I loved. Oh yeah, Legacy of Shadow. Legacy of Shadow. Yeah, that was my jam. I, I really liked in the in the uh, the first Great Martian War. The aliens were so creepy. They they did that thing where they casually mentioned that they reproduce by budding and, and just gross stuff. You're like, ah. <laughs> but see, I like that they don't dwell on it. That's half the fun. Like yeah. to them, it's just Tuesday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they do a great job. Um, the author uh, Scott Washburn does a great job with the uh, Martian perspective. I should mention that the uh, the Texas Front book um, is actually written by a different author, I think Jonathan Cresswell, um, and uh, Scott Washburn has a co credit on it because co credit on it because he um, he did a lot of the editing and obviously making sure that the story was was consistent with uh, with the world that he had created. So while that was going on, uh, Scott's been still working on another great Martian War book, which should be coming out uh, this coming year. So there's lots of awesome great martian war stuff uh coming up um and if you like historical books if you like military um fiction uh, if you like um alternate history uh it's all all awesome awesome stuff that um, i'm just so happy that i have the opportunity to read uh the uh the other book that i recently did was one that you guys had mentioned last year because i had um tipped you off to the kickstarter about it was the necronom nom nom it's <laughs> still the best name ever that's still the best name ever i was just listening to the episodes where we were talking about that because we the kickstarter went on so long like we when we recorded our first portland episode it was still going like after taking a month off i i was surprised just how often that that particular kickstarter came up they ran a really long campaign yeah i'm i'm not 100 sure why they ran such a long campaign but it was a long campaign and it Gave plenty of people the opportunity to catch it, and because it it did really well, if you recall, it um, uh, blew past their their asking goal and the stretch goal for me to record the audio version. Um, so when they did uh, get around to um, getting the book actually all finished, because it wasn't obviously finished at the time, uh, they sent me uh, a copy of it of it digitally so that I could record it. Oh my gosh, it was so, so much more fun than a cookbook has any right to be. <laughs> I like the sound of that. The writing is is so great. Ugh. Almost every recipe has like something like it never it never almost never says like ingredients and, you know, instructions or whatever. It's always something something like more thematic to what that recipe is. And all the recipe names are like these awesome puns. Yeah, I like them. The sandwich horror that one, for whatever reason, completely stuck in my head. That and Deep Fried Deep One. Yeah. Those are the two that are my favorites. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now. We've got uh, Azafroth, Sunken Mew, uh, The Grape Old Wands, 
<laughs> yeah, the grape old wands, like wontons. Yeah. And wait, isn't there another one like uh, buns or something? Great old buns? Great, great old buns. Yeah. Yiggy pudding. Oh, I didn't remember that one. On that one. <laughs> yeah. Lovecraft macaroni and cheese. Now, now what, I, what I loved about that Kickstarter were the, the layout pages that they showed because it has that, that really nice kind of hand-drawn, I'm making an atlas of the terrible things I've come across style to mm-hmm. it. A little bit of a preview here, but uh, at PAX Unplugged, uh, again, these are, these are local guys that were making the book. And, uh, and so they were at PAX Unplugged, and they had just gotten like some copies of the book there that they could sell. And so I was actually able to pick up and hold the book. And for one thing, they went to like the top of the line with the production of this thing it feels amazing in your hand it's got like the hard cover it's like padded cover it's got like the little um uh bookmark that goes through it the pages all feel like almost parchmenty and um and the art is beautiful and on top of that was cool is that the artist was there too and so people who came and bought the book he would draw like a doodle in in the book for them and they all three of them would be able to sign people's books also cool uh, for Pax Unplugged, the third uh, day, the Sunday was Kids Day. I had my two older boys there, and we went and stopped by the booth, and the artist was there. And my um, my one son like asked to watch him draw something because he had been doing some sketches but hadn't been doing anything there, and he just wanted to watch him draw. So he got out a big you know sketchbook and he drew out this really just off the top of his head sketch of this weird like insectoid type creature, and then he you know cut it out and signed it and gave it to us. And so I we have this really sweet incredible drawing that this guy made just off you know just made up on the spot and gave to us that uh, he we got to watch him draw and he's amazing the artist is just fantastic if as, as you look through as you look through this book and the way that he melded the you know the thematic cthulhu or great old one type lovecraftian themes into like well and there's like the food in there, you know, uh, so that you can see how it's supposed to look. Um, this is just amazing, amazing work they did on this. And I think everybody who gets it is going to be super, super happy with it. Yeah, you're making me want to get a copy more. And the writing is is just amazing. One of them is uh, sort of based off of the um, like the the King in Yellow, and it's actually written almost as a play with like different characters and talking about the they doing different things for the recipe. Um, one of them is just a straight poem all the way through the ingredients, all the way down through the instructions. Oh, man. It's, I'm just, I've, I really, really loved working on it because it was just so much fun. And the best part was the direction they gave me for recording it because there's lots of ways you could do this. All these, a lot of these recipes feel like they're written from a different perspective. So do you want me to come up with a character for each one or what do you, how do you want me to do this? And they said, no, here's what we want you to do. We want you to read this book as if you were someone who had found it and was started to just read it. And as you went through reading these recipes, you slowly got more and more insane as you read the book. <laughs> so I get to I like s- start relatively straight reading and sort of like with a sort of, you know, curious and like, wow, this is really strange. And as it goes, just start getting more and more sort of unhinged in the reading until the end where I just take it to the, the top that I can and hopefully still make it understandable for people to hear. It was it was so much fun. <laughs> you have a cool job. Yeah. That's not a bad way to be for, for work, you know? That's that's a good thing. No, it was so much fun. I can't wait. You know, we're we're still working on um some details for how 
for distribution, so I'm not sure how the audio version is going to be made available, you know, beyond the Kickstarter uh, backers who it's going to be made available to. I don't know if you'll be able to cook by listening to it, because <laughs> cause honestly, the um, the recipe itself is very... Um, very obscure if you're reading them like because they'll use they'll use different words for things that you have to like look at twice and sort of think about like hmm what does this actually mean uh, and sometimes like looking at the pictures is the way that you figure it out uh, so it's like an extra separation from the true meaning when I narrate it um, but hopefully whether it's you're successful at actually using the audiobook for the purpose of cooking, it's just entertaining and a good companion for the book itself. The, uh, I also had another book uh, release that one that I actually worked on, um, over the summer and, uh, because it was pre-release and the, the book took a little while to actually, um, be released. It took a while for my audiobook to come out too, but it was uh, fortress of gold, which is the second book in the series that I did the first one also earlier this year, which is magic Te- magic teacher's son was the name of the first one. Um, this one's like a young adult fantasy book and, uh, the sort of fun part of it is called the, um, the Magician's Gold series, because in the world of the uh, the characters, uh, particularly in the first book, they use gold and silver to do their white magic. So when they cast a spell, it'll consume gold and turn it into lead um, or turn silver into iron. And gold makes for more powerful spells. And then there's the black magic users, sorcerers, who use like um, bones, uh, human bones and stuff to do their, their dark magic. The first book, um, I don't want to spoil too much, but the first book is you know, it's set up to be a series. And so the first book ended at a, you know, a pretty exciting uh, end point where the heroes are really getting off onto their journey for their um, their great quest. And the second book picks up from there. And the uh, sort of interesting twist is that in the first book, you know, they talk about uh, there's a legend of a world called Earth that's like this uh, in written in children's stories of all this strange stuff and technology um, that is so odd for them because there's, you know, it's sort of like early 19th century or late around in nine. Yeah. Early 19th century um, technology in the series, almost medieval, but maybe a little bit past medieval, but then you have storybooks of like horseless carriages and, uh, and stuff from this earth that's all considered fantasy. But no, it turns out this is actually real world that our heroes have to go to to complete their quest. So the second book actually takes place on earth, uh, largely in New Jersey, uh, where <laughs> the characters from this fantasy world have to come and try to figure out how to work in our world. They predictably have a hard time with it, even though they can still do their magic here. It's a fun story uh, that uh, the author, uh, David Harton Watson, uh, wrote. And so the the second book, The Fortress of Gold, the audiobook and print, both released this month and just came out. And so um, uh, we're hoping that uh, we'll we'll get some uh, some interest and uh, get people picking up the original, too. It just had a a free... um, a free day uh, for the uh, digital book for the first first book uh, this past weekend. Ah, darn it! I meant to pick that up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw sorry. that. I saw. It. Ah, I knew I should have <laughs> set an alarm. Yep. Sorry. It was. Uh, it's already um, come and gone. Ah. I was super busy that day, and I didn't. I didn't. I would have gone out and promoted it more, except um, I was like out of the house and gone the whole day, so I didn't. I wasn't really even at home to be able to to help with it. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a real fun story, especially. You know, the whole fish-out-of-water conceit for the second book uh, just makes for some really funny situations. So it was fun to work on, and 
and yeah, that just came out this month. So hopefully, uh, if uh, anyone out there is interested in uh, in audiobooks, we'll be uh, willing to check those check those out too. For other books besides my reading for my work, I've recently started listening to the um, newest Brandon Sanderson released because I'm a big Brandon Sanderson fan. Uh, Skyward, which is a whole new uh, type of story, definitely a strong science fiction story as compared to most of his being more fantasy type stories. Hmm. Um, don't have to get into it too much because I haven't I haven't listened to a ton of it, but it's set in this um, other world where humans are trying to fight against these aliens that, I guess, chased their spaceships there and they crashed and they've been sort of living underground for a while, but they've recently started being able to fight back and hum- some humans are able to train as fighter pilots that go and fight against the aliens. And so our character is, is one of those people trying to train to be a fighter pilot. And it's, uh, it's really cool. And then it's, of course, Brandon Sanderson, so it's great writing, and I really enjoy it. I'm way behind on this, but I'm trying to work my way through the Dresden Files. I'm using my uh, local library subscription to borrow them. Heck yeah. Yeah, see, library connection there. As yeah. Robert uh, talking about libraries. Like, you know what? <laughs> I have a library here, and I can borrow books digitally. I should, uh, I should just do this. So I've been borrowing the Dresden Files books. I recently just finished the fifth one. Everybody listening to this probably knows what Dresden Files is about, you know, sort of. Are, are you enjoying it? Because we, we talked about Dresden Files a fair amount. Oh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, we don't need to go into detail, but it's it's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm so happy. Like, it makes me happy every time somebody tells me, oh, yeah, you know, I tried the Dresden Files out because uh, that book series just deserves a lot of love. It's very good. It's, it's unique. It's interesting. And it gives us a, it gives us a school of magic that we can latch on to as adults. Mm-hmm. Even though it's completely fantasy, it's not so fantastical, if that makes sense. I, I especially appreciate how um, there, there's a, a very strong, you know, overall continuing story to go along with the episodic, you know, monster of the week type plots, you know. So, like, there's really true heavy carryover from book to book. Um, and so I really appreciate that. And it, it, I feel like it's giving a lot of room for, for characters to grow and change. Um, where going into it, I sort of more expected, especially early on, for it to just to be like, here's one thing, and then you you know do the classic reset to the next episode where you know you're back at square one, and now it's a different you know different story. But no, this one there's really heavy carryover from book to book. I'm only I'm only at book five, and I'm waiting now to be able to to borrow what I need to read book six. So I, I know I have a long way to go, but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Well, one of my favorite things about that series is that the choices that you make matter and they have consequences mm-hmm. and you won't always know it for a couple of books. Sometimes it might be 10 to 12 books before you realize that a choice that Harry made has a consequence. You, there, there is no getting out clean, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's one other book I wanted to mention, um, which uh, I had just started reading since I finished the last Dresden File book. Um, and it's written by another local friend of mine. It's the uh, second book in a series, young adult series that he's writing called The Sidekick Academy. The original one was called um, The School Secret, and the second one is called uh, The Talent Show. And so um, the idea of the books is that our our main character uh, lives in a world where there are um, superheroes and villains. The main character, which is uh, a teenager, gets recruited into a private academy it doesn't take a whole long it's minor spoiler, but not really because you know why you're reading the book um, is a school for basically uh, people with powers or um, potential to be superheroes or superhero sidekicks. It's called the sidekick Academy. 
And uh, so he ends up being in this school for, um, for, you know, powered people and his classmates have all have abilities. If you like superhero stories, this is a really, I feel like a really neat twist on it because you're seeing the whole, you know, superhero thing from a different sort of perspective. Um, not from the perspective of the heroes that are out there, you know, day to day, but from the people either, you know, like looking up to them or training to try to, to be a part of that sort of thing. Um, uh, you know, saving people as a superhero again, fighting against supervillains. And it's, it's really cool. I really would encourage, um, everyone listening to go in and, and check it out. The author's name is Daniel Wenzel. Uh, he's a guy that I know pretty well that I've worked with my local theater and definitely deserves, uh, deserves support. So please definitely check it out. Um, and the, his, the second book in the series has just come out in the last um, month or so. So it's, it's really fun stuff that, um, that I think, you know, anyone who likes superheroes will enjoy. Sounds awesome. Well, I've been reading gentlemen. And what have you been reading? Robert? The guild master's guide to Ravnica. Nice. Nice. For Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. Yes. Yes. So is it all it's cracked up to be? I, I, I've seen a lot of complaints about it and I think they're valid. It It's the plane walkers or it's the plane shift Ravnica. It's the gigantic 250 page plane shift Ravnica, but it doesn't do a very great job of explaining Ravnica. If you do not know Ravnica well, but if you know your, your Ravnican lore, or if you just know where the wiki is on the internet, uh, it gives you, yeah, everything you need to go to go mess around there. But yeah, I, I was I was kind of enjoying it because at first, like like the uh, the story guy in my head was like getting kind of mad because the guilds, like the more you think about them, the less they make sense. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, the guilds weren't made for game conceit recent reasons. You know, they weren't made to like really tell a good story. But then it kind of works for the world because if you don't know your Ravnica, basically. Ravnica in the long, long ago, uh, there were basically 10 armies that were fighting. And at some point, someone's like, look, if we keep fighting, we're going to destroy this world. And they made the the guild pact where they basically made all these different philosophies or whatever into us. It just forced it to become a society with a magical piece of paper that made it so they could not fight. Because if you're part of a guild, like one of the things is you cannot destroy another guild. And so if you try to go to destroy another guild, like you will physically be stopped from doing it because the magic will work on you in a weird way. It's like this society that's formed out of these really, really crazy things that shouldn't go together. But for whatever reason it, it did the anachronistic kind of thing that the, these, all these guilds are kind of like grew on me oddly after a while. So it's a, it's good times. It, it's an interesting, it'll be an interesting D and D setting. Not, not the least of which is it's basically D and D, uh, you know, Coruscant. So, or Cor- whatever that city in star Wars. Coruscant. Coruscant. Thank you. You're welcome. That's why you have me here. Obscure Star Wars references and the occasional pronunciation. You're welcome. Yes, Obscure Star Wars references. It was only one of the main settings for two of the eight movies. So, yeah. No, that was one of the uh, uh, pronunciations. Obscure would be lumpy. Chewbacca's a little bit. L- lumpy is not that obscure. Obscure would be like a random character who gets, you know, gets a name in the EU. In any event, uh, Good Master's Guide to Ravnica. Maybe we'll cover it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where I'm at when I get the art book because I, I pre ordered that too. Does it get your juices running to want to run a game in Ravnica? I don't want to run a game because I'm not I'm not as much of a magic dork. My my buddy who's more of a magic dork really wants to run a game there. I'm kind of into the idea of playing it because one of the guilds, um, it's it's the guild that I played when I played Ravnica, which is uh, they're called Orzov, and they're this really weird mishmash of like a church. But they they preach prosperity gospel, you know. <laughs> so they're like they're very into making money. Sounds topical. And they're also 
the they started as like basically like a merchant's guild that also had a church and they're also the bankers. And so they're basically into organized crime and banking and the church. And I, I've got this like weird thing where I really want to play one where I'm just like I, I, I'm a guy and I really like my street and I'm just trying to become a good fella by, you know, joining joining the Orzov. I, I don't know why that appeals to me so much. And and I, I don't know, maybe it's that episode of Burn Notice where he, he takes over that street and, and I've watched that one way too much. But yeah, I, I have this like vision of like, yeah, I want to be a good fella. I'm gonna like protect my burg and, and my street's awesome and every other street can like, you know, we'll we'll like squeeze them dry, but my street needs to be protected by me. And and yeah, I just yeah, I don't know. It's 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 fun. I like the Orzov. They're good times. There's too many guilds to get into, guys. We we're not gonna do it here. <laughs> There's ten. There's ten. It's crazy. Well, I've gotten a little re- bit of reading done. No way. Yes. Okay, go. I'm reading hypnobirthing. No, 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 no. Jonathan, let me rephrase. So, what's your wife making you read? That would be hypnobirthing. <laughs> My wife wants to have an all-natural birth, and so she uh, was recommended this book. It's about, um, I guess, controlling the birthing. I don't know. I'm, I'm not that far into it yet. I think I've read like two chapters. I'm trying to be supportive, and I'm going to learn all the things that she needs me to do so that she can hypnobirth. That's awesome. So by all-natural, does that mean like at home with a midwife, or are you still going to a hospital? or? Uh, yes, with a midwife, but not at home in a birthing center. Birthing center, nice. Because uh, ha- having seen it, uh, I would not want to clean that up at home. No. Yeah, no. Um, I've seen it too, and let me tell you, like they don't make a tarp thick enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. No. I'm happy to have them clean it up. Yeah. We we sort of were thinking about doing a doing a birthing center if we could, just because of um, the cost of a hospital stay. But uh, but there's none really close enough to us to make us wanna. It's like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not gonna try to get to a place that's like 40 minutes away to give birth because we usually don't have that much time. So <laughs> <laughs> every time a woman has a baby, like their labor time gets cut down. So by half, so like number seven, it must be like, you know, 20 minutes. It, yeah. It's like, it's like Morticia Adams, like Ray, I have wonderful news. We're going to have a baby right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if we want to get into these stories or not, but um, like our first <laughs> Our first kid, we were in the hospital for eight hours before it was born. Second kid, it was two hours. Third kid, it was less than 10 minutes. Wow. Fourth kid, it was less than that. It was like seven minutes. Oh, my God. I'm going to tell my wife this. This is going to make her really happy. I got got followed to the hospital by the cop who was not happy with the way that I was swerving around people trying to get my wife to the hospital before she gave birth in our car. Fortunately, he was kind and didn't give me a ticket when uh, he found out what was going on, but he suggested I get a uh, ambulance next time. So now we say, um, I know what... I have this image of you just, I mean, just driving like it's a stunt show. Yeah, and, and it, you know, you know, of course, we're on the, the two-lane road, you know, one each way, and um, it doesn't matter, like, the, the guy up in front of me has to be a complete unpleasant words I'm not going to use on this podcast um, and, you know, deliberately goes slow despite me flashing my lights and honking my horn and doing everything I can to signal that I need to go faster than you're going right now. <laughs> I believe the technical term is tool. Yes, there we go. That's the one. So, yeah, no, that was a stressful drive. And so now we say, the, you know, the, the um, OB says, uh, you know, come into the hospital when, you know, contractions are three seconds apart, you know, et cetera. Say, no, 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 we're coming in sooner because we're not taking these chances anymore. <laughs> No. Last couple, last couple of kids, we got to hang out for about an hour and a half or so at the hospital before um, 
before the baby came. So I'm, I'm lucky. This is only about uh, 20, 25 minutes away from the house on a bad day with traffic and with, with a good day, even less. There you go. So yeah, good on you. That's uh, that's awesome. And uh, best of luck because you know how these things go. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I'm worried about most is not necessarily the birth. I've been through it. I, I know what to expect. Mm-hmm. What I'm worried about is, uh, you know, the video and me just having to beep out, you know, three quarters of the language <laughs> as I'm amazed by the gift of life. Yeah, I um, I didn't actually take actual video of the actual thing happening. Um, I got some well-angled shots very soon afterwards that... Um, Tasteful. Tastefully. Tastefully angled shots um, that I still feel awkward about showing anybody. <laughs> Are you going to be like those guys, Jonathan, on the, uh, have you seen that video where those guys in Jersey find the sunfish out in the ocean? <laughs> Look at that fish, yes. man. It's like sick. <laughs> I think it's dying. <laughs> no, I'm just my, my, my birthing video is just basically going to be a Samuel L. Jackson movie. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Oh, yeah. No, that, that would be the tame version. There we go. Because there'll be a holy in there every so often. <laughs> Just drown out the audio and play some nice, serene, pleasant music. I hope our listeners are really appreciating this whole um, childbirth uh, sh- uh, tangent to um, to the... <laughs> <laughs> it's birthing good radio. Oh, sure. That's right. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, God, that was a dad joke. Oh, my... Wow, no, Jonathan. I've, I've been trying to be a, a, a dutiful husband. <laughs> Can't say I would throw it on the recommend list. <laughs> <laughs> just saying not my usual fare all right we are now 40 odd minutes in so let's do our movies quick uh ray any movies lately I, I i see something that makes me super happy on there uh two things that make me uh super happy yeah on. no i um I, I don't actually get a lot of time for movies uh which you might find surprising um but uh if we do movies it's usually over like three sessions and then ev- uh, over evenings that we actually have time to watch um but what we do have time for is netflix tv shows including um their new voltron which is just amazing isn't it though? Isn't it just a surprise and a delight? It's so good. I mean, my wife and I watch it, you know, in the evening on our own. Like, you know, like we've we showed it to the kids, and the kids are like, "Yeah, this is pretty good." And we're like, "Yeah, okay, well, we're gonna watch it." And if you guys want to actually take a break from <laughs> video games to watch it sometime, then you can. But no, this is for us. It's such an amazing mix of of action and humor. It's I cannot believe how consistently they just nail everything perfectly in the show. Um, especially considering if you go back and watch the original, how almost unbearably cheesy the original was um, <laughs> yeah. i think what it does is it, it finally cashes in on what anime promised us when we were kids because we were used to the slapstick tom and jerry stuff and then we see this stuff with you know plot lines and characters and the occasional death so things have a little more weight but when you go back and watch it you realize just how cheesy you know that that weight was delivered and i think what this does is it gives us the the weight with the proper dose of comedy, uh, but never forgetting that it's a drama first. Right, and it's it's just, I don't know I don't know how they keep keep basically hitting the tone perfectly, and they're putting out seasons like every like almost a few months it seems like six months at most. Well, it's finishing up now. Yeah, season eight I think is the last season, which is good because you know when things end, it's better instead of it just sort of like fizzling out. Like because they've also had that like goal, like they knew it was going to end there, give or take. So they're like, yeah, we're going to get to this point in the story and it's going to be done. <laughs> I, I generally appreciate that, but I'm now sad to hear that news because I did not know it. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe need a moment. But uh, no, I appreciate that too. Because 
you get to this sort of thing and like the ante keeps getting raised because you know well now the whole galaxy is threatened and then the galaxy next to it and and you know at some point <laughs> you know you just can't raise more galaxies more threats right you just can't raise the ante anymore and so at some point it's like you know if we just wrap this up then we don't have to like jump the shark with um how implausible things end up getting i will appreciate that but i'll be very sad when it's over because it's it's just so good it's so good um i've also we've been watching lost in space it's another example of who would have thought you know 10 years ago that netflix would be producing shows that look like this you know it's it looks like you know it could be like feature film level special effects and um and you know sets and the production is just amazing everything is just is so well thought out and so finely crafted and you know the show is fun fun at the same time it's it's a little weird like with what they did to it to change it but you know i don't have any problems with with how they changed it from the original i was never that attached to the original anyway besides you know danger will robinson and they still managed to fit that in well, you want to talk about going back and watching something cheesy like oh, oh gosh oh yeah oh, no. my gosh no I, I i haven't gone because i don't want to i know it'd be it'd be awful <laughs> it, it would not hold up at all and so it's it's exciting exciting that that they're they're bringing bringing a show like this back and it seems like netflix is is dedicated to sort of doing that bringing back these old shows on one hand it could be like oh they're just you know why don't you come up with something new recycling old stuff but the thing is they are making it new in a way like they've almost all the stuff they've done this to has been great well, the thing with uh, with Lost in Space and like Voltron was like the premise. There was actually like a lot to mine there, mm-hmm. but you know they just didn't because <laughs> right. it was the eighties or the sixties and or whatever. And uh, yeah, no, like with Lost in Space, like the, they really, really like drilled into what they can mine out of that premise and make it interesting. And I, I haven't watched Voltron, but I or I've watched little bits of it, but I, I've heard the same thing that they've. They they take the, the the core premise and just really drill into what can actually make it work. And uh, Shira was the same way too. The premise of Shira is that you know she grows up working for the horde of evil monsters, and yet she doesn't really know she's a bad guy until the show starts. In the in the new Shira they did like they they made that much more of the well they don't call themselves the horde of evil monsters they just call themselves the horde. They really take the premise and like really drill into it. Like what does it mean to you know live your whole life you know, as a baddie and just kind of suddenly realizing it and, and dealing with that whole premise. And, and yeah, you know, they, that, that, that's what they're good at. You know, they're good at like taking the core. That was actually something they're interesting. That just didn't get plumbed into the first time around. And it's, it's not just a cash in, right? It's not just like, Hey, we're going to bring this name back that people recognize so that people come and watch. And we're just going to, you know, we don't care about the production because people are going to watch it because of the name. They're actually taking care with these properties to really make something good out of it so so speaking of of maybe minding the present at the library i've been renting movies like a madman so i recently watched ready player one and since this is going to be a positive podcast we will move on <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't read the book to be fair no, no I, I i listened i listened to the book on tape by the will wheaton so yes i did as well i enjoyed that version i have not seen the movie yeah 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 bleh positive podcast we're gonna move on (laughs) the book was great the password is didn't like it (laughs) you know what positive podcast i'll move on i got i got opinions on that book but yeah we're not we're not the ready player one podcast justice league watch that finally better than superman versus batman like narratively but yeah i don't like what is it with the wait a minute positive podcast 
I guess we'll just move on. (laughs) (laughs) I felt the same way about Justice League. Yeah. Finally watched Deadpool for the first time. The first one? The first one. I got to say, that movie got way overhyped with me. And maybe because I didn't watch it for so long, it kind of came back around to this movie's going to be overhyped and terrible. But uh, yeah, I actually, I actually liked it. I was, I was like, yeah. It, my, my, my whole theory about how uh, parody is, is kind of the, the, the call that something is near the end of its run is still holding true because, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was, that was a good parody of superhero movies. A very good one. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, and then uh, uh, Doctor Who finished up its run of the of the new uh, Jodie Whittaker episodes with a yeah it's like a year until they come back right it's not coming back basically they're going to do the next episode after they're doing a new year's episode so on new year's day january 1st they're doing an episode and the next episode after that will be january 1st 2020 that's uh that's a year yeah yeah not not yeah they they only do it a season like every 18 months and it just is like oh this is too long to wait but yeah, I, I have been enjoying the heck out of Doctor Who. They've, uh, I've seen the criticism. They've been kind of like reaching a little bit because they've been kind of like dipping their toe into like just everything that that show has ever done to try to figure out what they want to do. But you know what? They got a new doctor. Like, why why not? I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed all of it, so I don't care. It's been a great run. I, I have not yet watched it, so I, I've got it on my list, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I, I enjoy her as an actress. I think she's a fine actress. Yeah, she plays a manic a manic doctor very well. I really like her. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious where she's going to fall. Cause uh, so with me, I, I like the doctor who, whoever is currently the doctor is like my favorite doctor. That's, that's just always sort of how it rolls. And, uh, but then there's like, who's my favorite of the past doctors. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out where she's going to fall on that list. Cause, uh, yeah, she's, she's giving people runs for their money right now already. That's great. I was really surprised by that. Cause, uh, Right now it's Capaldi. I really, I still really like Capaldi because he, he, yeah, yeah, and 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 just uh, that that Peter Capaldi's a great actor. I watched it in the thick of it because he, I, I heard about his his character on that, and it it was amazing. Have you seen in the thick of? It? I think it's in the thick of it. His his other show, his show he got famous for. Have either of you seen that? No, I can't say. Oh. Sorry. Okay, so it's it's a it's a show about. Um, this is great gaming radio. It's a show about British government, and he plays just this. I think it's called in the thick of it, but anyway, he plays this guy and all he does is scream obscenities and, and just, he's just this angry Scotsman screaming obscenities constantly. And, and he's just, <laughs> so he's one of the voices in my head. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, Oh, he was just so good in that. And, uh, uh, I wish I could remember the quote, but there's like a, uh, they're, they're like watching him, uh, like across the, like the, it's it's kind of like the office it's about a bunch of office workers and there's a bunch of them watching him and there's sort of like a courtyard in the center of the office and then like you know more offices on the other side so they're watching him like across this co- courtyard and you could still hear him even through like two layers of glass and and they're just sitting there and they're like wow just just look at him just watching him is like you know he's like just this oncoming wave of cancer <laughs> and i'm like oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah oh yeah it's a great i love peter capaldi soon's good eat <laughs> and i'm looking up the name of that that thing right now is it the thick the thick of it that's it the thick, the of, thick it. of it yeah anyway yes that is what i've been watching what have you been watching jonathan well i too have watched a little bit of british tv i watched uh the first couple of episodes of a show called the bodyguard um starring rob stark from game of thrones i don't know the actor's name speaking <laughs> of uh screaming scotsman it's really good. It's really, really good. Uh, that show ratchets up the tension so effectively that I'm just sitting there watching this thing, wondering when my heart's going to explode in my chest. It's so tense. 
<laughs> nice. Wow. Wait, it's called the Body Card. Is it like is it a takeoff in the Whitney Houston movie? No, no, not even remotely. Okay, okay, just just checking. But I do want you to know that I will always love you. I felt that. Ooh, 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 ooh you, you, ooh. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and Ray providing the punctuation for that. Exquisite. <laughs> Boom. Tag team back again. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also had a chance to watch a couple of movies. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reserve my thoughts on The Bodyguard fully until I've had a chance to watch the whole series. I also had a chance to watch Mission Impossible, I guess this would be, what, six? Six, right? yeah, I think so. Uh, not Rogue Nation, the new one. Fallout. Fallout. Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes, with uh, Henry Cavill and his mustache. Wow! That movie was so good. Yeah, isn't it weird how, like, I don't know, understand how that series has survived this long, but they keep getting better? Better! I like the De Palma one, and two... Two, I can't even sit through it. I, I like try to start watching it, and I get I get to the point where like they're doing the bathtub scene, like that stealing. Uh, I'm just like I'm out. <laughs> Dude is so John Woo, so so John Woo. Yeah, but not even good John Woo. It's it's yeah, like face off. I think I've only watched the first couple, and then and uh, that was a long time ago. And I saw at least some of the first one again recently. Maybe I got to watch the whole one within the last couple of years, and it uh, didn't didn't hold up as well as I'd hoped it would. So it's I haven't really bothered to pick up any of the newer ones because like oh another mission impossible but sounds like maybe uh maybe i should check them out well well, on three when jj took over he kind of like rebooted it because it has nothing to do he goosed it he goosed it in such a great way yeah so my my rundown is one flawed but clever Mm -hmm. two it's it's john woo like if you like john woo you're gonna enjoy it too if you don't like john woo well you're you're not gonna enjoy it too I would still recommend watching it because actually that's one of the things that Six does so well is it harkens back to all five previous movies. It ties it all together in this beautiful bow. Three is remarkable. What a, what a great fun movie. It's not the best movie in the series, but it successfully reboots the franchise in an interesting and fun way and, and, and does it with maybe the best use of a MacGuffin I've ever seen in a movie. I think the weak point of that one, though, is just the villain because uh, I, I forget the actor's name. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, he's no longer with us, but his character, for whatever reason, just sounds so bored all the time. Like, like when he's getting tortured, and he, he's like, oh, "I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna kill your family. Apathy. You're right. You're <laughs> I'm gonna kill you too. I'm, I'm yeah." <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman was, was, yeah, was good. Was good at that sort of thing. Four was Ghost Protocol, which is the the movie from the the Disney guy, a Brad Bird. Yes, and. Four is fantastic. It's just an excellent action movie. It's a an exercise in set piecing. Five, slightly flawed, but a much grittier tone. I would put it akin to when um, the first Daniel Craig 007 movie came out. Yeah, they're definitely reaching for that. Yeah, it, it figures out how to make it a bit more uh, relevant to kind of modern story tones. And then six, six is brilliant. It is a brilliant piece of filmmaking. It ties the whole series together in a clever and interesting way. Um, it brings back every character and, and never never shortchanges them. It's never a uh, it never feels like a, a cheap like Stan Lee cameo, you know. Instead, it feels like a well thought out reason to have that character there. So so six is just I, I was so impressed, and it had a ninety three percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, wow. and I walked in very. Uh, uh, very much the skeptic. I did not think it was going to be able to live up to that. And it, it did and exceeded every expectation I had and was genuinely exciting. And I'm not even a Tom Cruise fan. I, I really enjoyed it. 
All right, I'm going to have to go back and watch these. Maybe I'll get to it after I watch all of the Marvel MCU movies that I haven't seen yet. <laughs> and then the other movie that I, I watched was the, the sequel that I didn't think I needed, but as it turns out, I do. Uh, and that was Sicario 2. Now, I know we've talked about Sicario on the show before. I'm a big fan of the first movie. You want to talk about tension. That's, that's a movie that excels in tension. Uh, I did not think that Sicario 2 needed to exist. So I walked into this movie completely skeptical that it was going to be worth my time. And I stand corrected. The movie is a fine, fine movie. It's really well done. It ties together with the first one just enough, but feels like its own creation. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was a wonderful movie. So good luck on the movie front for me lately. I, I had some good ones. I mean, it's no hit number. <laughs> Puts it all in perspective, though. And then finally, I, I, I've got some video games. Do you, do you, Robert? Nothing new. I've been playing Overwatch a lot because they released uh, a new character. And she, her name's Ash, and she really reminds me of PvPing with pistols in Destiny 2. So I've been thoroughly enjoying that. Oh, and I beat Battle Chasers. So huzzah for me. I was talking to Dale the other day. He beat it, too. What? Battle Chasers? Yeah, he really enjoyed it. Yeah. Dale played Battle Chasers? Aw. He did. Aw. I was I was really close to picking that up. It was on sale. And I was like, oh, I'm going to think about it for one more day. And I came back and it wasn't on sale anymore. It's like, oh. <laughs> no, I can't justify it anymore. I mean, the plot the, the plot's kind of not why you play it, I, I, which is kind of sad for an RPG. But And they, they totally did the thing of, of setting up the next game, you know, because it, it, it's I don't want to say it's a technology demo, but it's like the first game this company made. So it's kind of like them sort of putting themselves out there. So I don't think it's necessarily the game they wanted to make. Like, I think they have a more ambitious RPG in their head. But, you know, just first time game company, you just kind of have to do what you got to do, you know. But for what it was, it was, you know, for a budget title RPG, it was excellent. I I really don't have many complaints about it. I mean, I I bought it for $15 and I put... Fifth, almost 51 hours into it wow so yeah wow yeah <laughs> yeah when it, whenever whenever a game gets a dollar one dollar of my money equals one hour of enjoyment i i figure it's a good it's a good purchase and even with the insane amount that i played dragon quest 11 it was still 50 cents an hour you know for that game and this was like 33 cents an hour it was it was a great value at 15 bucks so i yeah yeah i, I i'd recommend that one it's a it's a fun game yeah, keep an eye on front of goes next on sale. I'll never finish it because I don't have that time to put into a single game. But it'll still be fun. I haven't played an RPG <laughs> in a long time. The interesting tactical combat is something that I'm interested in. So, Well, as always, we're going to cap this off with our, our one of our favorite topics now that we've uh, hit upon RPGs. And our other favorite topic is, of course, board games. So, Ray, you have quite the list here. I have quite the list. And this is even you're seeing an incomplete list that I'm putting on here for the sake of brevity. Because I got to go to uh, an awesome gaming convention, PAX Unplugged. Finally, uh, a con that I can go to because I live close enough that I can hop a train in the morning, uh, do the con, and then hop the train back home and uh, not get home too much past midnight to be able to wake up and do it again the next morning. It's tiring, but it is awesome. I do want to cover uh, a couple board games that um, I did uh, n- not hit at uh, at PAX Unplugged because uh, I just have so much fun with them. Uh, and that is I have been playing Gloomhaven. Um, which you may have heard of uh, as having rocketed to the number one game on BoardGameGeek. I have to ask, is it worth the investment if in both money and time? Yes. Okay, that's all I need to hear. It, it is that good. It's the the game that um, when we're done playing it, I just I wish we could do one more round. And I'm thinking about it in between, like, oh man, when are we going to do Gleamhaven again? And the the thing that really blows my mind, and I'll try to keep this quick, is 
why it got so popular, though. I mean, it's a great game, but there's a lot of great games out there. But it's got so many strikes against against it for like mass popularity. It's it's complex. Like there's a lot of little rules and a lot of like complex rules. And I'm good with rules, and some of them I still have troubles with, like for the how the monster AI works. It's expensive. It's just huge. The time commitment it takes is massive. There's nothing about it that screams, this is going to be a massive hit, right? Besides the fact that it's an awesomely fun game, there's like so many awesomely fun games out there that are much more um, accessible to a wider range of audience. I mean, this should be a niche a niche hit, but it's it was blown up and they, they can we're printing tens of thousands of copies and can't keep it in stock. I just I just want to point out that that blows my mind. But it, it really is that good. The story is, you know, in some ways, you know, not the strongest part of it, like the things that tie the missions together. And it is mostly really in essence, it's a, you know, a tactical combat game where you're going, moving your figure hex by hex through the scenario. But the way the combat system works, you have this hand of cards and another thing that would be a strike against it. You sit down to play this thing the first time, you've got a big hand of cards and it's like, well, what do I do? I've got this huge hand. I don't know how to proceed. Uh, it takes a lot to learn your character, which can be fun when you want to get into it. My character, I feel like, is probably one of the little bit more complex ones, the Spellweaver, because it has fewer cards, and when you spend cards, you can do a rest to get them back, but one of them has to go to a lost pile that you can't get back again, and it's sort of a timer for the scenario. <clears throat> Eventually, you're going to run out of cards, and your character becomes exhausted. My character starts with fewer cards than any other class, but has a card that lets them let's her get all of the lost cards back again. A lot of the cards that are more powerful that you have to lose immediately, I get to use twice. Um, but I have to be really careful and consider about how I use my resources. Because if I burn stuff too early, even though I can take it back, I'll still flame out. But then if I am being so careful that I'm not using those things when appropriate, then, you know, it may be harder to make it through. And eventually I just don't use them effectively because I didn't take the chance when I had it. So many great choices. The character progression is is just fantastic. Uh, you get these new cards, and it's always a brutal decision when you get a new card because you don't get to expand your hand when you get a new card. You just be able to swap something else out. And especially for my character with only eight cards, it's impossible. Like, every card is crucial to how my character plays. But here's this one that's even better that somehow I have to get rid of one of those existing cards to make a space for it. It's It's the best kind of terribly hard decision uh, for character progression. And then you get the modifier deck progression beyond that. You have this deck of cards that you flip when you attack instead of rolling a die. And as a part of the progression, you get to take some of the bad cards out, add other cool cards in. And it just makes it so much fun to do these different ways that you can progress your character because it always feels like there's something right around the bend that's going to make a material difference in how your character plays. It's great. I'm playing with uh, a couple of my friends, and it's just it's just a blast. And it's, it's definitely worth the investment of time. We've definitely made a point. Like We're only playing once a month because that's all we can really manage. But even then, it's just it's so great. And I promised I wouldn't go long, and I lied. <laughs> I've also um, been playing uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 with uh, a couple of our friends. Oh, no spoilers, no spoilers, because no spoilers, right? I've completed Season right. 1. Well, I, I, actually, I was going to... Um, yeah, Season 2, we, we went through Season 1 with uh, this group of friends, my wife and I, so we're all playing four players. And we just got this past weekend, and we got together for a day and got to play three games. Season 2 is really good. It's definitely worth doing. I don't know if I like it more than Season 1. It's, it's, it's like, more unfamiliar. Like, Season 1 was... was 
comfortable with the pandemic we already knew. And so the twist on that was like taking this thing we loved and bring it to these new places. And Pandemic Legacy Season 2, while has a, having some similarities, um, really is a different beast. And so I, it's definitely a great game and I'm loving playing it, but I don't know if I am enjoying it more just because I'm missing that sort of previous connection, as weird as it is, considering... That, that is one of the greatest things that Season 1 does, is it feels so ordinary mm-hmm. at first. And just takes it, yeah, it takes it to all these really incredible directions with the twists and turns. Like we got uh, so nailed by some of the some of the, the the surprises that came through. But season season two does like a lot more. There's a lot more going on. Um, it's it's really a lot of fun. I mean, if you, especially if you like season one, give it a go. This the story and the progression and and being able to follow. A game like this, I, I love these legacy games. Uh, you know, Gloomhaven is kind of one of them too. I'm stickering everything because it's just so much fun in that experience to do it. So yeah, if you like season one, find the time for season two. I mean, with that in Gloomhaven, I mean, you'll be set for the next two, three, four years. Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, so then uh, so to games that I uh, I got to at Pax Unplugged. Pax Unplugged. Um, uh, which uh, we had talked about a little bit before, but for those who don't know, is a new convention, board game convention that opened up here in Philadelphia. This is the second year of it, and it's just exploding. Uh, from what I understand, is a comparable size to Origins now. I've even heard that it, this year's was bigger than Origins because Origins might have been a little bit smaller than than normal. It's huge, and it's only in its second year. Huge, like free play area, just table after table after table in this massive convention area, and you know, on a Saturday afternoon it's just packed it's filled you can hardly find a seat as a big expo area where you can go through and demo games and i i went through and i got uh got some game demos in one that i had uh, known about ahead of time because i saw it on kickstarter is called uh fugitive and when i saw it at the con at the uh, tim fowers booth um it is a uh, small relatively quick two-player game that's a uh, bluffing deduction game uh it's uh sort of um the marshal trying to catch the fugitive I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. You know, you can do all the great. <laughs> Was it the one-armed man? You can do all those fun things. Although the the art doesn't doesn't evoke um, that uh, the Harrison Ford Tommy Lee Jones movie, but that doesn't mean you can't use the quotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the art is actually really cool. Is there a second one starring Mr. West? No, I don't. Uh, as far as I know, there's not. But the way the way the game works is that. Um, the fugitive is going through by there's cards sequenced from zero to 42. The zero starts on the table and the 42 starts in the fugitive's hand. And they're trying to play cards face down until they can get to the 42. Um, and then the marshal is trying to guess the cards that the fugitive has played. If the fugitive can make it all the way to the 42, then he gets away and wins. If the marshal can guess all of the hideout cards that the fugitive has played along the way, uh, then she wins. The basic rule is that Fugitive can only play a card that's within three of the previously played card. There's three different decks that you can draw from at the beginning of your turn. Both the Marshal and the Fugitive are drawing cards on their turn, so the Marshal is drawing cards to eliminate possibilities and reduce the options for the Fugitive, and the Fugitive is trying to get options for making his way through. It's a really fun, thinky, tense uh, deduction game. Uh, I played it a couple times with one of my friends and managed to beat him uh, with me uh, playing as the marshal, um, but I think with a couple more plays, he could. Um, it definitely feels like it could go either way. Um, I really enjoy it. It was um, it, especially I like deduction style games, and I like these uh, small, quick two-player games that you can you can fit in. Um, you know, sort of as a little bit of a filler. Uh, and so I definitely recommend uh, checking that one out. Uh, another one I picked up while I was there was one that my kids wanted to uh, 
because on Sunday was Kids Day, so I brought my two oldest boys, 11 and 9, and it's Harvest Dice. So are you guys familiar with Roll and Write games? Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Don John yeah. Clever. So Harvest Dice is, is one of those. I hadn't actually really played one, uh, unless you count uh, Yahtzee. But just on, I guess, on a whim, maybe because he liked the look of the art, my son asked to, for us to go demo Harvest Dice over at the uh, Gray Fox Games uh, booth. And it was this really neat little game where it's like cute little uh, farm animals. You're trying to plant uh, vegetables in your field. The first player uh, rolls dice. And then there's three colors. There's red for tomatoes, there's orange for carrots, and there's green for lettuce. And on your turn, you pick one of the dice that was rolled, and then you can plant it in your field. And there's like a column for each of the six numbers on the die, one through six, and then then three rows for the different rows in there. And you can plant it. Basically, if you draw a red five, you can put a tomato in any of the five spots, right? The thing is, once you start a vegetable, all the subsequent vegetables of that type must be planted orthogonally to the one that was already planted. So if I plant a red five, then I can't plant the red two because the two is not next to the five on my little uh, my little grid. Um, so what you can do then is you could feed that die to uh, your pig, Pips, because he eats the Pips on the die, and then you mark off these things, and when you... Oh, that is the most fabulous In the rule book, uh, it doesn't mention that, but uh, but it's, uh, it's a fun name, so I'm, we're sticking with it because that's how we were taught it. So you mark off in every six... Pips that Pips eats uh, gives you a, um, a a power to modify a die. So I could turn a five into a four if I spend the power after completing this row. And then uh, at the end of the game, you score for completed rows. Ever, at the end of every round, one of the dice is unused and that goes to market. And so you mark that on there. And then the more a uh, certain vegetable goes to market, the more valuable they are if you have them planted. So you're doing a multiplicative thing for ones you have scored versus uh, how many times it went to market. It takes 10, 15 minutes, and it's it's fun. It gives definitely interesting choices to make. I'm really happy with it, especially because I got it for 10 bucks, and I got the Kickstarter um, little pig meeple for the first player. So I don't just have the little pig tile. It's like an actual pi- big pig meeple. It was, uh, it was fantastic. I got the second to last copy. I was like, oh, should we buy it? Should we not? The boys are like, yeah, we want to buy it. All right, 10 bucks, we'll go buy it. We buy it. We got the second to last copy. Oh wow! And then while we're there doing our transaction, someone comes up and picks up the last copy. So I was like, okay, well, I'm glad we didn't wait on that one. Harvest Dice. <laughs> uh, I've, I looked into it afterwards, and reviews say that it doesn't do anything really new to the genre. But this is my only one I have, so it's fantastic. It's great. I don't have you know. There's nothing for it to replicate <laughs> in, in my uh, my game collection. So uh, another game I got to play at PAX uh, was uh, Dice Throne, which I had seen the first season of that, the first uh, iteration last year at PAX Unplugged, but I didn't actually play it. Uh, But this year, um, uh, a guy that I got to play games with, Russ Wakelin, if you've heard his name, and invited me to to play that with him and his daughter. And uh, what it is, is it's a a battle game, right, where everyone has a character and you're trying to fight it out and be the last one with hit points left, but it's dice-driven, so you have this... The production, by the way, is is amazing. But you have this little board that you fold out that has different die combinations for different abilities for your character, and every character has their own set of custom dice, uh, and you roll, and you're trying to do Yahtzee-style three rolls to make a combination on the board to activate one of your powers, to attack somebody or to use some abilities that you have to try to hinder or other players or boost yourself. 
Um, and then the, you know, lower the probability of the, the uh, result, the more powerful the, um, the ability is uh, to the point where if you roll essentially all sixes, um, then you get your ultimate ability, which just does tons of different stuff. Um, there's cards in there that you can use um, with uh, uh, command points or action points. Uh, so every character has their own unique dice, their own unique abilities, their own unique um, special uh, like tokens, and their own unique deck of cards. <clears throat> so very asymmetrical. And it's all about trying to figure out how your character works. And you can upgrade different abilities with cards from your hand to make them more powerful. There's so much going on. Um, and it's just the type of thing that I love because I love asymmetry in games and I love uh, the die rolling and uh, the back and forth of, uh, of the attacks. The three-player game did something clever where um, you got a, a benefit for attacking whoever has the highest hit points. So there wasn't just a beat down like one person uh, because they're the weakest. It's like, well, I could attack you and you're weaker, but if I attack him, then I get an extra card draw. So I'm going to do that because I want more cards. Uh, which is just a really nice, simple way to to make like a th- three-player game really even. And it did come down. We were all working our health down evenly as we came. So that's one to look into. I, ma- I can't imagine this uh, a cheap game, but you know, if you're into that sort of head-to-head play and you like the dice, it's it's a really good one. I also got to play Gizmos from Simon. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about that one. It's gotten some buzz. Um, it's uh, an engine-building game where you have your um, your gizmos, like little bits of an engine that you purchase with these energy uh, marbles. They look like marbles. And then basically you're, you're trying to find ways to chain the different gizmos together to get more out of your different actions. The neat thing about it is, um, I don't know if you've uh, seen or played the potion explosion from Simon that has this cardboard uh, thing that the uh, marbles roll down into and you pull out a marble and they roll together. Gizmos has something kind of similar where there's like a hopper with a little chute that comes out and marbles have come out there and you can see the ones that are available and you can do a pick from there to pick whatever marble you want but sometimes you get a blind pick and you pick into the top of the hopper so you don't know what you're getting Um, and then as you pick one out then another marble rolls into its place and it's a pretty neat little um, little construction that you know pops up off the table and is a a fun way to to handle like you know gathering resources especially uh, essentially and then you'll have abilities like all right when I do a when I pull a blue die off of the the hopper on the bottom then I get a free pick on the top and then you could do a double. So, hey, now I get two free picks when I do a blue. Or you could buy so that you, whenever you do a blue or a red, then you get a free marble pick. Um, and then you just try to chain things together to make this big engine that uh, will score you all the points and, and uh, take you through the end. Uh, my kids really like that one. And um, don't tell them, but I think their grandpa might be uh, sending it to them for Christmas. <laughs> nice. I may have, have suggested that that would be a good one because it was a really good game. And uh, I played a lot more stuff. I don't know how much longer you want me to keep on going because it's been going already. Like my kids got to play the new um, Fireball Island, which I believe, uh, John, or, uh, yeah, Jonathan, you, you have that one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one's been a regular on the table since it came in the house. My kids can't, love yeah, it. They, my kids had fun with it too. And it's just, it's just crazy that what they did with that game. I can't believe that they made that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's insanity in right. all the best ways. Uh, overall, Pax Unplugged was just a great experience. I encourage everyone who uh, can make it, uh, Jonathan, <coughs> Robert, to uh, to come out for it because it's <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. It's events if you want them. There's a huge like RPG and miniatures area, and just people playing games all over the place. Uh, it was 
it was a fantastic experience. I'm so happy that it's near me uh, that I get to go and do it. I just, you know, it, it feels so short. It's only three days, but uh, but it's, it was a ton of fun, and I'm definitely planning to go again next year. I don't have any board games, although I do know Daddy's getting a Christmas present. Downton Abbey, the board game? No. Oh, yeah, I did play that, didn't I? Wait, positive podcast. We'll move on. <laughs> Note to sell. I know what to get you for Christmas. No, they went and got uh, Camel Up 2nd Edition. Oh, lucky. Yeah, yeah. They had a few copies left at the local shop over at Rune and Board, so they went and got that. And I don't know about it, so yes. But I'll be opening that up on Christmas Day, which it's more of a gift for the family. But yeah, it was was an excuse to get mommy and and daughter out of the house and have some mommy-daughter time and whatnot, so... Love me some cantaloupe. I'm really, really excited about the second edition. I really want to get my. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how it is uh, next episode probably. And uh, yes, we did play Downton Abbey the board game because my library has a library of things which includes a hundred and seventy odd board games. And yes, the Downton Abbey board game. Interestingly enough, okay, so it's based off of a board game called Destination, which for one single solitary year outsold Monopoly in the UK because it's an English game and it's about taxis and uh, getting taxi routes and doing them efficiently and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so for they just put a Downton Abbey skin over it. And one of the interesting things was uh, you don't get paid money in that game. You get paid in bells, you know, because the people upstairs ring the bells for their, their servants to come bring them stuff because you just run around Downton Abbey delivering stuff as the servants. That's kind of the, the goal of the game. But the game does include an exchange rate uh, because one of the cards uh, we got it said, you know, you did something good, so they sent you two pounds, collect five bells. And I'm like, oh, so for every five bells you have, that is two pounds. That's interesting to know what the exchange rate is on this game. And so to, to make it, you know, more complicated, maybe maybe when you're scoring at the end, you should convert it back into the, the English pound. That's about all I could say about that game that was interesting. Well, well, it, right. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You know what bugs me, though? You don't really bug You've me. You've had a bad two weeks, Robert. No, 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 I haven't. I've had an awesome two weeks because I enjoy awful things. What bugs me about that game is I was reading about it on Board Game Geek, and there were people who were like so dismissive of it, <laughs> you know. And it's like you know, not every game you know has to be this like Euro game. You know, sometimes you just need games for people who are not into games. And and you know, if you can, because we we had a load of fun playing it because we were like hate playing it. But you know what? We still had a load of fun. And you know, if if that's what it takes, it's like watching a bed movie or whatever. And if your family won't play Settlers or you know. Uh, the game that Ray just said that sounded really cool. And I can't remember the name of gizmos or gizmos. They won't play gizmos because it's like uh, marbles. What's this madness, you know? Oh, well, you know, so what you play, you play destination and you, and you have a good time. It's, it's, it's just fun. And yes, it's roll to move surprise, but who cares? It was a good, we, we had a good time. Hate playing it. Have a good time. Hate playing games. It's fine. It's about the people more more than about the game. Yeah, exactly. Word word. I've played plenty of mediocre to poor games that I still had a lot of fun with because I had my friends around the table and now we have a shared memory. Yep, yep, yep. All right, Jonathan, I have pulled up the list. Let's do this. Yeah, you're going to need it, buddy. Uh-huh. You're going to need it. Okay. Playing the Living Daylights out of Keyforge. Got a new deck. It is awesome. Uh, it's the first deck I've got that has a real deck running concept to it. So it's all about, you know, pull the cards, pull the cards, burn the deck as quick as you can. And uh, it's fun. It's a fun deck. I'm having yeah, at uh, at PAX Unplugged, there was basically a constant, persistent line at uh, the the FFG booth 
a couple of times I thought, uh, you know, maybe we should get in there. Uh, it's just too many people. And now I'm regretting not picking them up because I was like, you know what, maybe I'll go online. And it's like, no, they're all like expensive now because it's just too popular. It's amazing how, uh, how well it's doing. My, my FLGS has actually had a pretty steady stream of fresh boxes of decks. I mean, and, and that's the greatest thing about it. It's 10 bucks to get in on it. My FLGS shut down last month. No! How far away are you from a new one? I could get there, but when you have as many kids as I have, your radius is really small. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you have a Barnes & Noble near you? Not, not, not close enough. I actually live, live kind of far from a lot, of, uh, a lot of that stuff. Probably be a half an hour for me to get to anything, which is not that bad, I know, but it's hard, so hard for me to get out and go anywhere. It's just it was great because this other this other one was like seven seven minutes away. I could get to this this one, but uh, but he closed down last month. Bye. No, uh, it, was, no. it was good times, caffeinated gaming, but uh, it's it's gone now. Oh well. Anyway, I don't want to bring things down. Uh, Keyforge sounds awesome. I want to try it sometime. You know what, Ray? Your question in the AMA suddenly comes into focus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that time. Okay, sorry. Go on, Jonathan. <laughs> So Keyforge, awesome. I continue to enjoy it. Um, it's a great idea. I, I, you know, only time will tell what kind of legs it has, but man, I'm having a blast with it right now. I played Photosynthesis for the first time. Uh, have you played that, Ray? I have not. I've heard about it. I've seen it, and I would like to play it, but I have not gotten to the table. Uh, is it as good as it uh, is as uh, purported to be? Yeah, you know what? It's super clever. Uh, Robert, I liken it to Vikings on Board in that it's, it's a relatively easy game to teach and play. In fact, there's really only two things that you can do on any given turn. But the complexity and the depth of strategy are amazing because you've got a board that represents a field and you are growing uh, different types of trees. And there's an economy in the game and the economy is all based on what trees you have out on the board. So you get you get a free... Uh, a free tree at the beginning to to basically kickstart your economy. And there's three different sizes of trees, uh, and there's also seeds. So seeds turn into small trees, small trees turn into medium, medium into large. Uh, small trees get you one, what equates to a dollar, essentially, and that is light points, uh, because they're the first phase of the game is the photosynthesis phase, where all the trees suck in the sun, and that sun power then fuels your, your engine. So um, small trees get you one, Medium trees get you two, big trees get you three. But here's where it gets interesting. There's a finite amount of spaces on the board, and there's a little player tableau in front of you, and that that has a finite amount of spaces in it as well. And you have more trees than fit on the tableau. And the reason that's important is because if you don't manage what you're buying and putting out on the board well, you can get into a situation where you need to replace a tree and your tableau is full, so it gets kicked out of the game permanently. Hmm. So there's the management aspect of it, and then there's also the placement aspect of it, because every round, the sun rotates in a circle around the board, and so you get a different, uh, a different angle of sunlight, and small trees block one space behind them, medium trees block two, and tall trees block three spaces behind them, meaning that you can effectively position trees in such a, a, a way as to starve the other players in the game uh, for a turn or two until the sun swings around to their side. Cutthroat tree planning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you had told me that one of the most fun experiences that I would have had this year in gaming would have been growing trees, I wouldn't have believed you. But then again, I wouldn't have believed you about uh, Happy Little Accidents either. Yeah, it's, it's been a year of surprises for me. Uh, I really enjoyed photosynthesis. It's quite brilliant. It, it's, it has earned all of its accolades. I, I just also like that um, the theme of it is so, so accessible. 
I mean, it's yes, it's, totally. You, know, you could you could put that down in in you know your diehard gamer would be like, oh, planting trees, but you know your your family or your in laws or something like, oh, planting trees, and so it's a way to be able to more easily bring um, bring other players to the table rather than like, oh, we're killing goblins with our swords again. Well, and what, what, with the sunlight mechanic, I mean, it's so um, thematic as well. That, that's the greatest thing about it. It's, it's a euro with a heavy theme in, in all the right ways. Yeah, sounds great. So the machine got a couple off the list. I uh, had a chance to finally sit down and play my production copy of Cromlech because I say that because I had uh, forgotten when I opened up the box and I read the rules, I'd forgotten that I'd actually played a pre-production version of Cromlech before. So Cromlech is a basically a building game where everybody plays a druid and you're building a stone circle and that's how you activate different magics and whatnot. And it's uh, it's quite fun. I had a great, great time with it. The The rule set has some crunch to it, so don't be afraid to, uh, to spend a couple of rounds with it before you really start to get uh, into it because it, there's quite a lot to learn. Like, not a hard game to play, but definitely a hard game to master, if that uh, makes sense. Finally had a chance to play some Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, had a great time with it. Um, it is tells a good, fun story. It's a great cooperative game. And um, a, a, another real surprise. I, I knew I was going to like it because of the theme. I didn't know I was going to love it because of the game. I'm, I'm having a great time with it. I, I want to speak more about that one in the future, so I'm just going to pocket my thoughts for now, if you catch my drift. I had a strategy night with a with a good buddy of mine. Um, you know, it, it's it's so rare that I get a chance to only play with two people. You know, generally when I have a game night, it ends up being three, four, five. So there were only two of us, uh, and so we played Heroes of Normandy. Uh, and then having learned the rule set, then we turned around and played Actun Cthulhu, uh, which are um, two games in the hero system. These these are games from Devil Pigs, uh, or pardon me, Devil Pig Games, which is in France, I believe. And basically, Heroes of Normandy is uh, the Normandy invasion without 3D minis. Instead, you're using uh, tiles. There's a great economy for building up your forces. Um, There's a lot of strategy to be found in um, the way you maneuver your your units and whatnot. And the whole thing is done with a two-dimensional perspective moving around uh, little little chits. Hmm. And I had a blast with it. It's a really good strategy game. I really like it. And I like the rule set. Uh, Octoon Cthulhu kind of turns it on its head, and instead of being uh, classic World War II action, instead you've got uh, Weird War II. Uh, so you've got uh, you know American forces fighting Nazis, which are all fighting Cthulhu. And uh, if uh, that game's not your style, there's the role-playing game. And I saw on the PlayStation Store there's a tactical like game, video game of it too. So there you go. Oh, for, for Octoon Cthulhu? Mm-hmm. There you go. You yeah. play a squad. Well, four. the hero system, the hero system is spreading out too because uh, just now hitting stores is the heroes of I believe it's heroes of Blackreach, which takes this system and applies the Warhammer theme to it. Uh, okay. Heroes of Normandy is one that I've I've wanted to play for a while and just it's never never come together the uh, connection of assuming that I'm going to be able to get it played and an opportunity to pick it up, but it sounds like a ton of fun. And then the way it's great. they're bringing it out into like these other sort of other sort of uh, themes with the same system is it's classic war game move that um, you know you expand your, the reach of your of your system, and I hope I get to play it sometime. Well, if, I got good news for you. If you got an iOS device, they actually have an app version of Heroes of Normandy that we can play online. Yeah, they have. Um, it's on Steam too. That I've I've looked at go. and uh, and I've thought. <laughs> 
one. Uh, it, it will be mine one of these days. I speak very highly of it. I've really enjoyed it, and and as a minis war gamer, I, I can definitely tell you, I I like the system. The rules are good. It's super fun. Nice. Yeah, I, I gotta I gotta get this thing at some point. I love war games, and uh, I just don't play enough of them. Oh, I backed a I backed the card game that's coming uh, via Kickstarter, and I'm, this just made me so much more excited for it. Like I'm just I'm really pleased with the rule set. Uh, so I'm, I, that makes the the card game that much more anticipated in my life. And then I played another game that I picked up at BGGCon a couple weeks ago. Hold on, I'm going to grab the box. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this. It's Dice Fishing Roll and Catch. It's a game from Japan. And basically, every player has a set of dice, and that represents their, um, their fishing poles. And everybody bids behind a screen. You, you can see the fish that you're all fishing for. And you bid behind a screen how many dice it will take you to catch that fish. And there's a numerical value, and then you roll all the dice, and whoever... Uh, whoever gets closest to that numerical value uh, is the one that catches the fish. Now, here's the twist. There's certain fish that take a lot of dice to uh, to catch. There's also a couple... Most of the dice that you have are D6s, but there's also a D10 and a D20 in it. And so every so often, you can just toss out your big die and hope that that, that lessens the quantity of dice that you're you're wagering on any given fish... Uh, meaning that you get an opportunity to kind of undercut the other bids and fish for it first. Now, here's the thing about the the uh, special poles. They have a cooldown of a round. So if you use your D10 or you use your D20, you're not going to have it available the next round. So if the fish that comes up is a real high number of fish, you might have just done yourself in. So it's a, it's a really clever game in that That sounds respect. really interesting. And it's really, it was inexpensive. It was like uh, 10 or $15.00. Comes with some nice big fat chunky D6s and a bunch of other dice. And uh, the art is great. It's kind of a hand drawn nature conservatory style, if you will. And uh, yeah, I really, I'm really having a great time with it. It's a fun, fun little game. How, how accessible? You think that it's, it's simple enough for, uh, for average people to, uh, to pick up? Absolutely. I played this with, successfully with two six year olds and they, they had a great time, totally understood it right off the bat, and were deep in it. Because it seems like it could be a really cool thing to get you know, people who are into fishing if it hits the theme well enough. Absolutely. And there's there's um, one expansion available for it, which mine came with. I don't know if all the copies came with it, but mine does. And that is uh, some ocean fish versus uh, freshwater fish. Very cool. So there you go. Dice fishing, roll and catch. And it is from Homo Sapiens Lab and March Hare Games. Does that wrap up your board gaming list? Uh, that wraps it up. Um, I do need to add one, though. Oh. I do need to add one that I have not played yet. Uh, I got my Kickstarter of Dinosaur Island. Having already played the Dinosaur Island base game, um, I don't need to add that, but I do need to add Dulasaur Island, (laughs) which is the two-player card game. And I'm really, really excited about it. I'm I'm very excited to play it. I can't wait. It's going to take another one of those uh, rare two-player nights, though. It'll happen. I have faith. I have faith. All right. Well, I have removed several games. And at Adulasaur Island. And I will close the list for the final week, Jonathan, because this is our 2017 finale. Now, okay, question about that. Since they're still part of 2000... Uh, by the way, it's 2018, not 2017. Quiet, you. <laughs> I know. Now, what if I play some more games before our next episode? I thought it would be December 31st is my last day. Because we didn't make the predictions until the following episode, Correct. I don't recall. <laughs> I just listened to them recently. 
Uh, we make- I feel like I get January 1st to December 31st. Not that I'm going to be able to make that much more of a dent because I work for a living and I have children. But I want to give it a good try. We can discuss this off the air, but uh, I can find out the date that we recorded that episode. That is something I can figure out. Done deal. 365. That's what we're shooting for, baby. All right. All right. I like I can, Jonathan I can, should get should get every every leeway here in his uh, his Herculean Sisyphean task that he was trying to uh, accomplish. <laughs> by Ray, normally I would I would be positive and say yes, but however. I think this part of that is going to be the only points I get, so I am going to be a stickler with it. So the the, the trend that we've noticed, uh, Ray, is that unfortunately Robert seems to be a year ahead of time with his predictions. (laughs) So all of his predictions from last year came true this year, which didn't really help him in the game because he really needed them to happen last year. (laughs) And so I fully expect that his predictions will come true next year. You gonna work to eliminate that list next year? Then I'm thinking because we're 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 getting ready to re- to record. You know, I'm thinking about just doing the same predictions and seeing what happens, just as an experiment. I'm gonna meta game it. But but I, I I'll tell you what the, the the one you made about the the superhero movies. I can already tell you that that Avengers: Infinity War two will blow that out of the water. So just I wouldn't. I, I, <laughs> Although to be fair, maybe Shazam brings it down. I don't know. Shazam looks amazing. I don't care what you say. <laughs> it's uh it's 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 not uh it's not clicking my buttons. Oh dude, that that movie is totally clicking my buttons, but I I you got to like Billy, man. It, it yeah, you just yeah. Shazam is its own beast. So can I throw in um a couple of the things from Pax and Plugs that uh will be uh will be mostly for Robert, but uh that I forgot Absolutely. to mention earlier. But I was going around with a couple of my friends, uh one of whom uh runs the uh, uh gm's the uh, D game that i play in on thursday nights the online game mm. <clears throat> and at one point he said and there is like a, a pretty sizable chunk of the expo floor that was basically indie uh, rpg booths oh neat and he said i was really hoping to find some really cool neat uh indie rpgs while i'm here and i was thinking wait a minute I listen to a podcast where this guy talks about all these obscure RPGs all the time. <laughs> so I said, I probably have some for you. So first thing that came to mind was Delta Green. I said, hey, let's go check out Delta Green. I saw it because Pellegrin Press had a had a booth there. And so we went, we checked it out, and he didn't get that, but he did pick up Trail Trail of Cthulhu, I think it is. Nice. Yep. With a couple of uh with a couple of uh source books for that. So I'm I'm hoping that he'll uh he'll put something together to run for that because I want to play it. And then I also told him about uh, Kids on Bikes, um, and he also picked that up um, while he was there. So I got to uh, spread uh, the RPG love from FMD to, uh, to my friend who loves role-playing games. Good. Nice. Good. They also had, uh, uh, I think, was it Magpie Games also had a booth there? Yep, yep, yep. While we were there, um, I, had, I had mentioned to my friend that, oh, yeah, they're making the Root RPG. And while we were passing by, and he goes up and asks the guy about it, at the booth, and the guy was beyond excited that someone came and asked him about it. <laughs> he was like, wow, not very many people know about that. Yeah, we're super excited about the Root RPG. They're um, all in on that, too, and the guy was really excited to talk about um, how they're going to be, uh, how, they're, how they're looking to handle it. And so it's, uh, it was really cool to bring that stuff that uh, I've, I've heard and talked about with you guys uh, on, the, uh, on the group and everything to, uh, and to take the information that I've learned from, from Robert and, and help my friend out finding, uh, finding some more RPGs for him to explore. 
Gumshoe is is very fun. I don't know if I've complained about it much here, <laughs> but uh, we're playing kind of a more investigative Eberron game, and I got way too used to the way Gumshoe handles investigations, and and like Fifth Edition does not handle it well. And yeah, it's just it's 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 a little frustrating sometimes. But yeah, yeah, like the um, yeah, the whole basic thing about Gumshoe is just really nice for for doing stuff, and it assumes a certain level of competency, and everybody's kind of got their place. So you know, yeah, it's good. I, I'd also very highly recommend if you're if your friends uh, listening, and should this make it to air, we'll see because this episode's going real long. Um, uh, Knights Black Agents is probably my favorite rpg i've i like right now uh, i god i love that game that that's the one where you play like it's like burn notice uh you mm-hmm. know you play burn super spies uh, but you're fighting vampires and it's it's just so good all right yeah i'll definitely i'll, I'll have to make sure i suggest that one to him too and uh yeah maybe maybe he'll listen <laughs> yeah oh oh god nice black agents is so good because what's nice about it versus cthulhu is uh you know when you go hunting vampires uh you're pr- thematically you're supposed to win whereas you know investigating cthulhu is in self inherently corruptive so eventually you're just going to go crazy or die so again, nihilism versus you know yeah. <laughs> have the opportunity for a uh, a happy ending as opposed to um just seeing how far you can go before everything falls apart <laughs> yeah pretty much Pretty much. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Cool, cool, cool. I want to go to one of these cons and talk to people. I'm glad they were excited about the route. Yeah. I like the, I like the guys at Magpie Games. They, they make some good stuff. Yeah, no, he was, because um, they didn't have anything out there about it, and uh, I guess they hadn't publicized it. He was just excited, like, oh, where'd you hear about that? Yeah, it's not, it was, it was fun, because cause he was obviously excited about it, and, you know, we were obviously really interested in it, too, so... Yeah, it's they had they had a bunch of of indie RPG booths there, like a lot of different stuff. So I think uh, uh, Pax Unplugged would be uh, would be a, a great opportunity, Robert, um, for you to uh, come and indulge. If you well, want if to I can't make it out year. there, if you ever if you need a list, if you need a list, I can, I can arrange <laughs> a list. I hear about a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. And that brings us to the end of tonight's off-the-shelf segment. As always, we'll be right back after a short break when we deep dive the Reckoners. I made a sentence. <laughs> Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. Welcome back for that break. It's now time, of course, for our deep dive, and this week we're going to be deep diving a game that we've talked about briefly on the show before, The Reckoners. This, of course, was a huge hit on Kickstarter just recently. Normally, this is the part where I would try to do my best NPR voice to sort of read the game text, but we have like a professional we here. Got a, we got a pro. I know. We're hitting the big leagues. Ray, in your best NPR voice, can you please read the two paragraphs of text that are before you? Ten years ago, a mysterious burst in the sky gave ordinary men and women extraordinary powers. They're called epics, but every epic turned out to be evil. Today, in the city once known as Chicago, now Nukago, an all-powerful epic named Steelheart reigns supreme. Nobody fights back. Nobody but the Reckoners. This is where you come in. You are a member of the Reckoners, 
a skilled group of normal humans who assassinate epics. Your mission is simple, but not easy. Take down Steelheart and his epics and save the city. Whew! Is it hot in here? Ooh. Caliente. Yeah! <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ray. <laughs> Glad to be of service. <laughs> yeah, we should start hiring you for our interludes. <laughs> so, Ray. I'll let you know my rates. <laughs> Stop me if I'm wrong, but you and Jonathan uh, have both played this, and I have not. Oh, absolutely. I've probably played this at least a dozen times. So, uh, yeah, I've played it. Okay, and Jonathan, you too? Yes? I've played it I've played about a half dozen times. All right, Jonathan, I want you uh, to take off your metaphorical host cap, and uh, I want you to huck it out the window in, in the general Portland direction. I will catch it in my window and put it on. I'm going to have to open the window, though, and it's cold outside, so I'm just going to... It's an imaginary in. cap. You can throw it through the window. It doesn't exist. God, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to put that cap on, and my head's big, so it's going to be tight. Now I'm going to, I'm going to wear the host hat. <laughs> that was the last thing I expected at that moment. <laughs> He's got a huge noggin. You, you've seen Miles, right? <laughs> He's got a mammoth head. He peeped new, <laughs> and he was literally crying himself to sleep uh, on his huge Pella earlier. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be the host. I'm gonna talk to you guys about this game. So uh, we know the basic set, setup for the recorders, which is you know go kill the super. So so tell us tell us about it. How do, how does how does this game play? Well, it's 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 actually relatively straightforward. The basic setup does not use what you would consider a traditional board. Instead you get a series of uh, plastic trays. Some of the trays are for your characters. Other trays are for locations in the city. And what you do is, depending on the number of players that you have available to you and the difficulty rating that you want to assign to it, you put a different number of locations out for the city, basically creating your playing field. And that might be different every time you play. The epic that you're fighting, Steelheart, also gets his own player board. And then each of the heroes gets a player board where you'll be assigning dice. And, and that's where the primary mechanic comes in. Everybody has a metric ton of dice. You start out for the bunch, and then you have an opportunity through the game to buy a bunch more. And uh, you, you have a, a Yahtzee mechanic at the core of the game. Would you, would you say that's about right, Ray? Yeah, that's about right. It's just every time you said player board, uh, the listener should think really sweet plastic tray that holds everything exactly where it needs to be with cut out shapes for all the little counters to go into or the dice to fit into it's just amazing the way that the the game helps you play it through the design of these trays that it uses yeah these these are no ordinary trays they are they are all purpose built for the game and they they show it because they convey a lot of information in a really elegant way yeah absolutely and everybody like you said gets this handful of dice and uh each die, there's everybody gets three uh, common dice that all have the same uh, six sides, and then everybody gets uh, their special dice for their characters, which one of the sides is more powerful. Uh, each character getting basically more powerful for one of the six actions. The great thing is all these actions are beneficial. So you roll these dice, and you're always going to be able to do something, whether it's something that you need to do or something that's not as important at the moment. But you roll your dice, you have to pick at least one of the dice to lock in and then you can roll again and then again for your second roll you have to lock at least one in and then you roll a third time and then at that point all of the remaining dice are locked but you know you could get the perfect roll and lock everything in your first roll or anything in between that and the third roll until you have the dice that you're going to be using for the round 
And one of the neat things that they did is that they had everybody do this simultaneously, right? So you had six players, you're not taking turns rolling die going around the table. No, you just, everybody rolls at once. You want to wait to see what somebody else does, then you wait. You want to just get your dice out there and let everybody react to you, you do it. And the design of the trays makes it so everybody can easily look over and see how many rolls that you've already, how many dice you've already locked in and where they are, where you are in your turn. And everybody can be discussing like, oh, I have... Um, what I need to take care of this situation over here. Can you try to roll some more? Or I've got, I'm taking care of, I could got what I need to handle this over here. You guys worry over there. The interaction and the strategizing between the players starts right from the get-go in this game um, because you have this communal action that takes, cuts down on the time to play the game because everybody's acting all at the same time um, and adds to the cooperative nature of it because you can talk to each other through this part where you're rolling your dice uh, to get uh, the resources that you need, the actions that you need to accomplish what you want to accomplish uh, for the upcoming round. Yeah, absolutely. And that that really highlights what the core of the game is, which is to say that it's a a fully cooperative uh, adventure. One of the great things about it is because everything is so modular, you get a little bit of a different story every time. Yeah, You know, different, uh, what would you call them? Minions? The, well, they are epics. It's just they're not high, the um, high epic uh, Steelheart. So Steelheart, you know, is the, the the big boss of the city, and he has these other minor epics that uh, work for him. What's going on is your ultimate goal is to defeat Steelheart, who has his own figure that moves around uh, the different uh, locations of the city. But every all the other locations have a, a different epic on them that is going to cause you problems, either doing damage to uh, the population, which is how you lose the game, uh, making Steelheart more powerful, putting um, more enforcement out that make the epics more powerful, or barricades that, that bar- or, or putting barricades out that um, inhibit your movement. Um, they're all doing bad things, so you want to be able to deal with them, and you have to focus on, on taking out the epics um, as you go in order to uh, basically buy time to then also be able to deal with Steelheart. So when you, uh, you're fighting these other epics, then you'll get rewards that will help you fight Steelheart. Because one of the things about the books, which if you haven't read the books, you know, a lot of these epics are basically indestructible, but every epic has a weakness. And that weakness allows it to, makes it basically lose its power and become vulnerable. And as the Reckoners, their big uh, part of their thing is they do their research very carefully to try to discover the weaknesses of the epics so that they can uh, then go and take them out as regular humans against these uh, superpowered beings. Right. And and actually I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that actually folds into the gameplay as well, because you have different characters that you can play as. And each of those characters has kind of different statistics, if you will. And that gives them access to different dice and the different dice colors essentially give you different stat boosts, right? You are more likely to roll research with certain characters. You are more likely to roll attack with certain characters. So that's, that's one of the neater aspects of the game. It's not so so weighted in that direction that it's like, well, that's all I'm good for. Um, everybody can do everything, but some of them are just a bit better at doing their specific tasks. So you can say, hey, I'm good at this, and I'm going to go and try to be in a position to take advantage of that. But then at the end, you're also still at the mercy of the dice, right? So if you don't roll that thing that your character is good at, now you got to figure out something else to do for your turn because you didn't get that the, your optimal roll. But you know you're not just left out in the dark because well, if I can't attack anything, then I'm useless. No, you've got these other dice results that came up that you can still use. 
to like research the epics to try to find their weaknesses. Um, some epics you can, you don't have to find their weakness. You can just basically punch them enough to punch through their special abilities. Uh, but some of them you cannot hurt at all until you have researched them, which is one of the actions on the die to research in epics. And that's the way Steelheart is. Steelheart star- starts with a ton of research points, basically number of resources you have to spend on researching him before he even becomes vulnerable. All the other epics also have research that you can do, but it's obviously much less than Steelheart because you have to research Steelheart in order to make him vulnerable, and then you have to hit him hard enough to uh, to defeat him and win the game. You get an interesting um, like, way to distribute your resources. Like, well, I didn't roll any research this time, so we can't kill this guy, even though he's a big problem. Um, but we can go and focus our efforts on this guy because we don't actually have to research him. It's just going to take a whole lot more punching to take him down if we don't. And there is some player progression in the game based on the equipment that you can purchase. Because one of the things that you can do with your uh, dice rolls is basically generate yourself an income that you can then spend on items in a store. And those items are constantly rotating. Yeah, and they're really powerful too. Yeah, some of them are ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. And they, that's really how you, how you push your characters along. Because at the beginning of the game, you're just like, oh man, we can barely take out a couple of these epics here and... And, uh, you know, it's struggling, like, to try to keep things together. And then as you can gain equipment, then suddenly it's like, well, now you're getting extra actions or you're doubling uh, these other actions. And by the end of the game, you just feel like you're just ready to tear tear right through anything. It's like, all right, yeah, with my dice, I can kill this guy, move over here and take out that guy. And it's amazing at how um, getting those those equipment cards just really boosts you. And the, the fun thing is, is, again, as a cooperative game, right, your money that you earn when you roll the money on the die goes into a common pool. And then when you get to the buy equipment section, then everybody can basically spend the money and you can decide who gets what. So you can make a decision for the group, like of who's the best one. Well, this card that I get synergizes well with this other ability that I have. So if I get this, it makes it even more powerful. It turns my singles on this die into doubles and this one makes it into triples so that I can do even more actions. And it's just another way to strategize with the other players in the game to, uh, to get the edge that you need to take out Steelheart. Yeah, this, this very much feels like Pandemic in that there's, uh, you're, you're constantly working together and constantly sharing information to, to kind of make your engine run, uh, but you've still got some things that you're better at than other players, which gives you a sense of individuality. And it's got that dice chucking mechanic, which is like my absolute favorite thing about King of Tokyo. And it sounds very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got that, that, that dice chucking of King of Tokyo. You get a lot of re-rolls and it's very satisfying. <clears throat> yeah, I, oh, oh. You like it when I say that? Reroll. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. And you know what? I would love if somebody could take this and reskin it about vampire hunting. This would be my ultimate game ever. Oh, I love vampire hunting. But you know what? Supers hunting is almost as good. Mm. Well, then you're gonna you're in some luck because there's plenty of that to be found. <laughs> the variation that the game can have based on which epics come out is is actually also really interesting. In the end, you are just fighting Steelheart, right? <clears throat> and Steelheart has a prescribed set of uh, things that he does that can be you know better or worse depending on whether other other epics are boosting him. And then the difficulty level can basically make him even more powerful and make him do even more things. But the epics that come out have some really varied abilities they can do and where they boost um, Steelheart's stuff, the four things that he can do. You might have a 
a game where there's just barricades all over the place and moving around is really hard and you're spending all these resources to remove barricades just to get where you need to go. Other games, there'll be virtually no barricades, but Steelheart is like hounding your uh, Reckoner's base and pulling dice away as uh, you have to spend resources to reestablish a new base and you're constantly losing dice and struggling to get them back again. Or in other games, the enforcement that boosts up the other epics is just spreading all over, and you have to spend your energy doing that. You know, for a game where there's only one, you know, final boss, it still ends up feeling really replayable because of all the variation in the combination of the epics that come out. And, you know, some games will say, oh, well, the variation is what, you know, makes it, and it's like, yeah, all right, it all feels the same. But this one, they... It really does feel different um, depending on which of the abilities really get powered up. But even beyond that, the puzzle of every turn of figuring out how to best use your dice is just so satisfying. Even if it, there wasn't that much variation, it still feels so much fun to, to figure out the best combination of how to use your resources to make it through to the next turn without you know, something catastrophic happening is, is really, really a lot of fun. Yeah, agreed. You you are you you're speaking my language. Like my my favorite thing about Battle Chasers was was that too was you know uh, figuring out how to apply your stuff for a turn. And and I described the combat in Battle Chasers and one of the War Machine factions I played is like every turn it's like untying a knot and it's very satisfying when you do it, <laughs> you know, and just everything works right. Ooh, <sighs> Jonathan, don't make me plan another trip out there. My my wife will kill me. So it's all right. You'll have a place to store the body because I'll hold on to you. <laughs> <laughs> Taxidermy is a thing out here, dude. No, you know. you'll I, still be on the show. I'm I'm quite fond of my wife. Uh, no, thank you, thank you, but no thanks. I, I'm not I'm not going to Norman Bates my my wife. Okay. No, no, no. I was insinuating that she was going to kill you. Yeah. Oh, oh, I missed that. You'd stuff my body. You could almost probably probably almost fit in the Reckoner's box. It's a very large box. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's no joke. I love you, Gina. And it's heavy too because it's got all kinds of like fun metal components and stuff. I've waited 53 episodes for this, and finally my day is here. Ray! Yes? Tell me about that rule book. The rule book is, is pretty good. They have a lot of really great like examples in there. There's one or two little typos that were f- fixed in, the, um, in the, the digital version they put out recently that I've heard about. But really, it, 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 I think it goes through and explains everything very well. There's, even in the back, there's a, a section where they go through and go into more detail about the different different cards and giving you more information um, on how very specific of uh, the equipment cards work. I really, I, I can't think of any real fault in it. It's beautiful. I think it's well laid out. Um, it's, it's more, I think, written for learning rather than reference, but it's not that hard to find things. I think maybe once or twice I had to like flip a couple times through a couple pages, like, well, where's this part? But it, it divides everything by the phases so if you're in a certain phase, you just kind of flip to the section for that phase, and what you want is probably in there. I think they did a great job, even though there's no index. Lowly sidekick co-host, Jonathan or whatever. Anything to add to that? No, absolutely. I mean, to, to be fair, I, there's quite a bit of fluff in the rulebook as well, which is cool because it gives you a total uh, insight into the um, insight into the world and the characters and whatnot, which is really, really neat. So I think that's why you kind of escape without too many issues not having an index because really the rules are, are very streamlined and very straightforward and only in a couple sections in the book. And and honestly, like once you learn the rules, I mean, there's really not a whole lot of reasons to go back to the 
the rule book after your first couple plays because it's such a straightforward design. There's, there's really not a lot of question in, the, in, in what you can do. The question really is in how are you going to tackle what's in front of you at any given time. Yeah, the only thing I'd say is that some of the iconography on some of the equipment cards at first might be a little like, wait, wait, what does that mean? But it's really well laid out in the back of the rule book. And then, you know, like after a couple of games, you're not going to need that anymore. Agreed. I mean, I think I think we, we referred to the rule book our first game or two. And then after that, we were on our own and, and never looking back. Awesome. And so you, you mentioned it before that the, the box is gigantic and has a, fun, a bunch of fun, cool stuff on the inside. So tell us about that cool stuff. This is one of the most <laughs> incredibly produced games uh, that I've seen in a while. The, everything in there is, is done by game trays who you know, do great work in general, uh, and they is definitely have, have come into their own here. I mean, it's the tray that holds the minis has its own little lid, and each of the slots is designed so that any of the minis can fit in any of the slots, and it goes over this other tray that holds the other components, so it snaps down over it so that it holds them in place. The slots for the different trays for the characters go over here and there's slots underneath that for the dice that are big and chunky and they're screen printed on but i haven't had any issues with that um they look beautiful then there's the side where all the location uh trays are in and they just all slot right down in there some of these components are underneath there everything has that thing where you can push down on one of the sides and it'll pop up so it can come out so there's the one token for the one character that's on the bottom and it's like oh it's flush in there how do i get it out you just push on one side and boop, it pops right up and out all the, the cards are great quality. The minis um, look fantastic. The dice are amazing. Um, the brackets that you know, go on the trays are metal, or at least I guess the Kickstarter version, they're metal, and it all adds to it. It's, it's, it's just amazing production. Anything to add to that, Jonathan, or, or Ray say at all? I mean, yeah. He's a whole lot more eloquent than I can be at this time of night. <laughs> which is saying something consider it's considering it's a time of year of the night over here than it is for you it is it is you are a little bit ahead any, anything to, to mention about any flaws in the execution or there is one thing that is a little bit dissonant as far as the theme for me having uh listened to the books excellent narration by uh, mcleod andrews i absolutely recommend uh, listening to the books in the game you lose when the epics, including Steelheart, wipe out your population, right? Representing the population of New Cago. But in the books, that wasn't what the epics were doing. They weren't trying to slaughter people because if they wanted to do that, they could do it easily. They were trying to suppress and basically enslave the population to, so that they could be you know, these powerful um, rulers over their fiefs. Um, so I kind of understand why they basically just said, okay, this is a population and these guys are attacking your population and you're losing population and that's where your lose condition is because that's simpler to understand for people who maybe don't understand the theme. But it's it strikes uh, a dissonant chord for me because the Reckoners in the books weren't concerned with, you know, the epics coming through and slaughtering, slaughtering people because that, that was easy to do. They wanted to free the people from the epics' control so I prefer to think of, instead of losing population, more of like suppressing population or, you know, reducing um, resistance from the population. Or, or that they're just playing getting carted off and hauled away to uh, the salt mine or whatever. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Because the, in, the, in, the, in the story, the, the epics were not just slaughtering people uh, indiscriminately. That's just not what it was. So that's, that's one thing. That's, you know, it's just a minor theme thing. And if you're just playing the game, you don't 
really know the story that well, it doesn't matter because you could look at it as they're killing the people and it still is a great thing to want to stop, right? <laughs> Uh, the only other thing for me is that I feel like, uh, especially at lower player counts, the game is not incredibly difficult, depending on you know how well you play. It can get out of hand, but the way the game is uh, set up, you get your Reckoners get more powerful as you go with equipment cards, but the epics that you're facing do not. So the power curve of the game is that it gets kind of easier as you go along, um, and if you can get a handle on things early, then it can sort of lose some of the some of the tension just because everything is so well under control like i said before the puzzle is so satisfying for me that i don't even really mind if it's not the most challenging and uh and there are other ways that you could if you want to explore to find to make things more difficult that uh that you could do as well yeah they they actually have a setup chart in the uh, rule book that lets you alter the difficulty level per player count too Right, yeah, and so one thing that you could do is if you find the game too easy and you're playing with three people, you could do like basically a four-person setup and play that way, and that would definitely make it a lot harder. The general thing that the difficulty does is that it makes Steelheart have more points that you need to work down to research his weakness and and attack him, um, which kind of just lengthens the game if you get to a point where you have things so under control that, you know, he's not going to, he and the other epics aren't going to do anything really bad anyway. So I feel like there, there could have been more opportunities for more interesting and more challenging play. Uh, that being said, some people still consider the game to be really difficult. So it depends on, I guess, you know, how well you, how good you are at it. Cause some people still have a hard time with it. If they just maybe aren't quite grasping, uh, the strategies, uh, right off the bat. Um, and there's, there's lots of simple ways that you could still, uh, make things harder, um, that wouldn't like totally break the game. So it's not like it's, you know, forget it, throw it away. There's ways that you could, if you need to, and if you don't need to, if his game's hard enough as it is, then great, you know, just enjoy it as it is. Well, and, and truth be told, it, it, it very much has that pandemic feel where things can swing from in control to out of control very quickly with just one flip of a card. Have the wrong things happen, then yeah, it can go, <laughs> it can go south pretty quickly. Oh yeah, that that game's got uh, that game's got the the player hate in it. You just have to find it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just if if depending on how you play it, if you get enough equipment cards um, at the right the right equipment cards at the right time, um, you can you can be in control and and pretty much just uh, walk away with it. But it's still fun doing that. You know, it's still fun feeling powerful, and it's still fun figuring out how to use your dice and your all your equipment cards properly to really make that happen and really bring it to Steelheart and just crush him into the ground. Well, speaking of uh, player count, because you guys have brought it up a couple times, wh- where's the sweet spot with this game? Is it the typical more the merrier, or, or does it exist in between, or what, what's going on? You know, honestly, in my experience, uh, it's worked at every player count we've thrown at it. Uh, and a big part of that is because of the, the variable setup. So depending on what how many players you have and... And what you've got going on, you put out a different number of cities, different number of epics, etc. And that uh, that kind of helps to balance it out so that it feels like a very similar experience with uh, all the player counts. Yeah, I've I've found that it's a little bit harder with more players. In my experience, I did play a game with six, and I think we might have lost lost that one. But the the, the fun thing about the higher player counts is that it doesn't add uh, what you'd expect for the time because there's so much simultaneous play. 
Absolutely. All rolling your dice at the same time. And then when you act, you're using your dice. You're also all doing that at the same time. There's no like specified turn order having to wait. If you want to do something, you just go and do it. Um, more players mean more discussion and the more stuff to figure out how to handle. So there is a little bit more time, but it doesn't go off the chart, right? I mean, it still plays in a very comfortable amount of time and having the more players and the more, um, you know, discussion, interaction and all the more stuff on there makes it feel even more of an epic experience. So I think um, it works. It works well at two because it's nice and streamlined. You're boom, 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 back and forth, and you're easily able to to coordinate everything. And with more players, it just feels like this massive uh, task that you have to have to fulfill um, with all these different moving parts. Um, it makes the puzzle more interesting, um, but it doesn't blow out the time. So I th- I also think it, it basically works at all player counts pretty much equally well in giving a great experience at every stage. Our traditional last question, which we typically answer in the course of the interview anyway, but uh, any any final thoughts about, uh, it, you know, is it fun to play? I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the question, right? Is it fun? Yeah, yeah. I had a great time. I, I had so much fun with it. It's It's so satisfying on a number of different fronts. You get the satisfaction of working together with your group. You get the satisfaction of you know, altering your character to, to kind of balance the character out or to, to, you know, create a monster at one specific stat. And then you also get the, the dice chucking and I find it to be supremely satisfying. I never didn't have a good time with it. Even six, seven plays in, I was still totally ready to, to, to sit down and play again because it was always fun in, in all the right ways. Yeah. I'm going to be saying a lot of the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's a ton of fun. It's, I've played it with, um, with my kids, my, uh, you know, seven, nine and 11 year old, um, and they've enjoyed it. I've played it with my main great game group and, and we've all had a great time with it. I've played it, uh, solo, uh, or not solo, but I played it with my, my wife, just the two of us when we have a time for a game night and we have a great time with it. Uh, the different characters, the different abilities, they give you different ways to play, um, when you're, especially when you're playing at lower player counts, when at max player count, you have them all in play, but at two players is like the different combination of characters you take really can change the, your approach to the game, uh, with the different abilities and the different, um, or powerful dice. I've, I've had a, a yeah, like a, like Jonathan said, a fun time every time I've played it. And, uh, I'm always happy to be able to bring it out. And everyone that I've played it with has had a great time. So that is the Reckoners by Navu Games. And Jonathan, I, I, I think I'll, I'll lob the, the host hat back to you in Texas. There, there you go. I'm like flinging it and stuff. <laughs> Is it all stretched out now? Do you have to like... Yeah, from this huge noggin. Yeah, yeah, from my big head, yeah. <laughs> well, that, of course, brings us to the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Ray, thank you so much for, for coming back on and telling us what you've been up to. Speaking of which, if folks want to keep in touch with you, if they want to follow your exploits, if they want to find out what book you're reading next, how do they do it? Uh, the best place to probably go is to look me up on Facebook. Uh, Ray Greenlee Voiceover is my uh, my Facebook page. Um, I'm also on Twitter at uh, at Ray Greenlee VO. Um, I do have a website, RayGreenleeVoiceover.com, but that uh, does need to be updated. It's uh, been a while since I got to that, so. I think you're you're better off finding me on Facebook. 
But uh, but yeah, and or just look me up on Audible. You can find the books that I've done there. And uh, hopefully, if you find something interesting and uh, take a listen, then uh, I would be uh, very grateful and love to hear what you think. There you go. And what 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 is the, uh, the the latest and greatest that folks can grab from Audible? Well, the, my latest release is a Fortress of Gold by David Harton Watson, uh, book two of the Magician's Gold series. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up, Ray? No, I think that's great. I just would like to say thank you again for having me on. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. I love talking to you guys. I love listening to the episodes. So um, just really uh, great job on the podcast. Uh, I've just one of my favorites ever since I started listening to it. And I always look forward to the new episodes. So thank you guys for all your hard work and putting these out every couple of weeks because um, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of them. And, uh, and I learn a lot too. So uh, keep on being awesome. Well, thank you very much. Oh, I'm check out Ray class and the join up. I, I know. <laughs> My wife's cutting onions downstairs. It's <laughs> What's going on? This thanks, guys. I had a great time. Always, always. You're always welcome to come back on. Well, that of course brings us to the end of episode fifty-three, which is hard to believe. That number keeps going up. I, I, I you know, I, I, you'd think I would learn to expect it, but I don't. You know, we were talking last time about uh, starting over at number one and just calling this Forgot My Dice, Episode 1, Volume 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I think that I want to see the, I want to see the triple digits at this point. <laughs> I'm in it now. I'm in it. Fair enough. Fair 53. Enough. We're, we're on the backside of the first hundy. Okay. All right. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. You know we love to hear from you and uh, have you in the conversation. Ray's always in the conversation. I love it. I'm in there. So come join Ray. Uh, at the very least, you can beat up on us, especially Robert and his humongous head. <laughs> especially if we can get a game going on Board Game Arena again, huh? Yes. Yes, I know. We. I, I'm, I feel terrible. Like you and I were going to sit down and, and start something, and I said to myself, oh, I'm going to do this on my computer. And then the next thing I know, I was gone for a week, and uh, it's been too long. So I need to <laughs> sit down and sit down and really I get into it. I figure we'll wait till the new year when we don't have the holidays to contend with. Yeah, man. The holidays are killing me. That's no joke. Yeah, man. So, so many holiday functions. <laughs> Did you know that I've been to the elementary school three times in a week for various recitals and, and you know, different classroom activities? And, it's that oh, time. It's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Not for parents, man. <laughs> this, this is the hard time. I like January when it's all over. Go back to school, children. I, I've been telling you, like, I, I feel like I'm spinning about 20% more plates than I usually do, and it's just exhausting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely the time of the year. The games will be there when we're ready for them. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, once again, uh, that brings us to the end of the episode, which means, Robert, there's only one thing left to do. What? Any final thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. It, it, it's our Christmas present to you. If it, well, it's our Christmas present to ourselves if we manage to get this out on Christmas Day. If that happens, I will be amazed. I'm going to try. I'm going to work my hardest. Oh, I think we're going to be able to make this happen because I, I actually have a couple days off coming up. So All right, that all really right. helps to not have to do work. Yeah. So, yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. And, Ray, as always, thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, guys. Merry Christmas, everyone. And we will catch you in a little over a fortnight, I think, because we're about to do our little. Uh... Yeah, fifty-four. We're we're set up to do our predictions episode. Like I, I, yeah. I have actually already already tallied the predictions. I I I know, I know. 
stuff. Yeah, you Can't don't know. And then, and I then, and I know, I know, but I'm feeling really good. You, I'm you should. Really good. You, you should feel real good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler. But alert. next year, next year, these predictions are going to be awesome. And we got to come up with predictions. That's that's next time too. We got to come up with three new predictions for the the, the 2019. We're on it. Yeah. Well then, until then, we will speak with you soon. Have a good one. Party? What the hell, Jonathan? Yeah. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm okay. A, okay. I'm, okay. A hot mess, I, I, I'm, I'm a hot mess. I'm taking I'm a hot mess. mess. I'm taking a hat back. All right, Jonathan. <laughs> party on. <laughs> party on, Robert. Party on, Ray. <laughs> Party on, Jonathan. Party on, Robert. I'm going to go just weep openly into my palms. Yeah, please do. You should. You should feel ashamed. You should feel ashamed. Can I, I can stop recording now. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. 